Steve Allen. Morning. Nice to have your company. Welcome along to uh, to Thursday's edition of the programme. Oh, my God, what a... I thought yesterday was a brilliant day, considering we were forecasting doom, gloom and despondency. I didn't see any rain, saw nothing at all, and uh, and all in all, it turned to be quite sunny. Get back to Twickenham, and a friend of mine said to me, he said, oh, dear, we had terrible rain earlier on. And I looked at the roads, and it was completely dry. I said, you sure? He said, yeah, definitely. He said, we definitely have rain, but uh, it's all vanished now. And today, you can have rain again, so I'm assuming it's going to be roughly the same as it was uh, yesterday. I'll just have a quick check what Rupert tells us it is. Thundery. Uh, rain this afternoon. Sunny spells to start with this morning. Heavy showers, though some places staying dry for much of the day. 14 centigrade, which is similar to yesterday, currently at 7. Tonight, those heavy showers will last into the evening. It's obviously not enough, though, is it, to stop all the uh, the hosepipe bans which are around the country. I mean, we've got water everywhere at the moment, but they're saying it's all soaking into the ground, so there could be dangers. They're now warning of flash flooding. So one minute we haven't got any water, the next minute we've got too much water, then we're thinking of buying Welsh water. Now we could have flash floods, and yet it still won't solve the hosepipe ban, so you've still got to be economical when you're actually going out there and watering the garden. I'm assuming the ban is still in place. I haven't sort of read anything recently. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Plus, of course, we'll be doing the free podcast for you. So if you go to the LBC website uh, about 7 o'clock this morning, there'll be a free podcast up there, which we record after the programme at 630 uh, the other thing is, I was going through the Daily Mail earlier. You know, every, normally I just earmark a page in the Daily Mail if it's a story that particularly interests me. And there's all sorts of stories. First of all, the, uh, the little beauty pageants, which are kicking off in this country. This time it's for three-year-old girls. And to be honest with you, we've seen the beauty pageants in America, which are possibly, possibly the most awfully disgusting thing you've ever seen, where little girls of three, four, five, six, seven, and so they go on, are primped and preened, and they have their hair permed and coloured, and their eyelashes dyed. It's quite awful. But there's another girl in the paper today who's equally bizarre. She's a living doll at the age of 15, and her mother's going to take her to Japan. It's very, very sad. A very sad story coming up a little bit later on. So we'll talk about the, uh, the beauty pageants. Plus, they've decided to, uh, to tell you again exactly how much pop stars are earning. They reckon the richest pop star in this country is Adele. 20 million quid, and they put a picture up of her house. But actually, it's not her house, it's a rented house. I don't know why they bother putting pictures of people's houses up there. They go, oh, look, and Adele's done really well, she's got 20 million quid. And, and so I was running through the list earlier on of the, the money that they're supposed to have. And to be honest with you, I don't believe a word of it. I absolutely don't believe a word of it. For example, I can understand Adele has probably made a lot of money because, um, because she writes. And if you write songs, that's how you make money nowadays. Number two is Cheryl Cole. She's never written Diddly Squat. She only had one album, hasn't she? A few hits with Girls Aloud. They reckon she's worth 12 million. Leona Lewis, 12 million. Katie Melua, 12 million. But Katie writes all her own stuff. I don't know if Leona Lewis writes stuff. Uh, Charlotte Church, 8 million. Good God, I know. Through what? She hasn't had a hit single for donkey's years. Paolo Nutini, 8 million. Florence Welsh who's from Florence and the Machine, seven. Lily Allen, six. And then it goes down the list. No, even James Morrison, six million. I thought he'd have had more money than that. Uh, and then it gets a bit further down. And they've got uh, all of JLS, five million each. Sarah Harding, girls allowed, five million. How on earth could she have five million? She's never written anything. They haven't had a hit single for donkey's years. And they say she's got five million. I bet most of the pop stars look at these things and go, I've got hat one, let's keep it quiet then. Let's keep it quiet. Let's, let's not tell anybody about anything. Delighted to report to you that uh, well-known hooker, that's uh, Jennifer Thompson, is writing a book. 
about being a hooker at £1,200 a night. That's what she apparently claims she was charging. I really don't see it, actually, love. I see you more as, like, 30 quid. But uh, I'm sure that you'll be delighted. There's no point in sort of trying to sort of underplay how much you were charging people. £1,200 is what she claimed it is. And the bad news is the tax man's now going to be looking at your files and trying to work out, so you've paid how much tax, dear? Don't come up with that old excuse. You don't have it now. You'll have to pay it. You don't pay it. Put you to prison. Not nice. Another row brewing down at Dale Farm, I've discovered. You know, having got rid of the uh, the travellers first time round because they were illegal, there's something about travellers. They don't quite understand the word illegal. In fact, most of them don't understand any words at all. But this particular word is illegal. A load of them then came back. And so now there's another deadline to get rid of the second lot of travellers who were roughly akin to the first lot of travellers. And a couple of them have said that... Um, you know, we're not, we're not going. Richard Sheridan, who's a leading campaigner who lives at the camp or has lived for years, he said, if they try to evict the travellers, it'll be like Dale Farm number two. There's no way anyone's going to leave. Oh, you will, girly boy. Oh, you so will. You know, you cannot have these people who just are an affront to the law. They're an affront to society. They're an affront to everybody. They're an embarrassment. You know, just to themselves, they're an embarrassment. Who was it who wrote the other day about them? When they were talking about the big fat gypsy wedding, which isn't anything to do with gypsies. It's to do with, uh, with the travellers. Um, and, and it was something to do with this, um, what, what, what the, the young boy travellers do to the girls, tantamount to, uh, to attacking them. You know, anywhere else there'd be a court case. But apparently in them it's just seen as, oh, it's OK, they go up and grab them. They grab girls from behind. Not the most pleasant of people, are they? Not the most pleasant, I'm afraid. Seeing there's quite a number in court at the moment charged with thieving. Imagine. Imagine. And surprise, surprise, the furniture store Inferno rioter has been jailed for 11 years. Here he is, a picture of Gordon Thompson. What a pathetic little person he must be. But he's got a string of convictions. It's nothing new. He's a career criminal. And uh, this goes back into his teens. He's just a waste of space. He's just a waste of space. The sort of person who, who really should have been... Gen- Only 11 years. He torched the furniture store, and that's all he got. It burnt to the ground. In fact, even houses over the road were sort of worrying about things like that. And um, so this Croydon furniture shop just got destroyed. You know, years and years of history because of this mindless thug. 11 years. We hope you rot in there forever. Hope you stay there and, uh, and hope you have a lovely, lovely time. They're also t- this is all from the mail today. I've never known so many stories in the Daily Mail. I got quite excited, especially when they talked about the old varieties of fruit and veg, which are coming back. Things like Egremont russet apples. There's something about apples. It isn't until I go into Paul Cooper's greengrocer at Twickenham that I realise how many different types of apple there are. How many different... I mean, you just look at them and you think, I didn't realise that there could be that many different types. But they've now said that, in fact, you have to go back to apples to Victorian times because they're the best. They are the healthiest option. The, the apples that you get nowadays, some of the new varieties, have been almost brought on by this eco-culture, and then they're sprayed, and then they're brought on faster, and then they're, then they're deep-frozen, and then they come back out of deep-freeze, and then they're just chilled. So the time you get to this country, you've got no idea when they were grown. It never says on an apple when this thing was grown. But if you look at a russet, an Egremont russet, there's something about it. It looks like an apple. It tastes like an apple. And there's some really, really lovely ones out there. So go out to the greengrocers. Don't do the, um, the supermarkets for your fruit. You should never do that. Always go to the greengrocer because they're actually getting it in fresh. The supermarkets have it in in the chilled lorries. You want it fresh from the market. 
And that's why you have to go to the greengrocers. I'm not sort of doing a big up for greengrocers or anything like that. I'm just saying that's where you're going to get it fresh. And that's where the apples look as though they have just been picked off the trees. So uh, go and check them out today. They've also got a feature in the mail on the man who they say, you know, well, they ask the question, does he symbolise everything that's wrong with British football? Who is it? It's Mario Balotelli, a rather sad, attention-seeking little nobody. So he kicks a football around. You know, he cheats on his girlfriend. Uh, He has no regard for the law whatsoever. Parks his car where he feels like it. I think he's amassed something like £10,000 worth of tickets. He's also got a white Bentley Continental. A little bit naff, but there you go. That's footballers. No taste, lots of knots of money. And uh, they ask the question, is he the face of bad British football? No, he's just a silly little boy. That's all it is. There's nothing, you know, nothing to matter. He, he's no better, no worse, I'm afraid, than any other footballer out there who earns loads of money. But they've got no class. You know, they think if you drive a Bentley Continental, that's class. Actually, talking of driving Bentleys, the other day, proving that I know absolutely nothing about cars. I mean nothing about cars. I get in the car and I'm going to go to Reading. I'm going to go to to Costco because there's a few little bits I wanted to pick up. I wanted to pick up, because I keep seeing it on the television, the Karcher window cleaner. And I'd seen it advertised on various TV shopping channels, and I've looked at it, and I've kind of resisted, and I've, I've, I thought, no, I don't need this thing, I don't need this thing, I do need this thing, no, I don't need this thing. And now I've decided I need it. And what it is, it's a handheld, rechargeable, it's got an internal battery, Karcher, who make all the jet washers, and it's a window cleaner. And what you do is, you wipe your windows with soap solution. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be anything more than washing up liquid. So you do that and then you turn on this uh, little thing and what it is, it's a window vacuum cleaner. And it stores it in a little reservoir. So you literally turn it on, wipe it down the window. It's got rubber blades on it. So not only does it clean the window at the same time, but it sucks up all the water. Because that's the problem you get. When you get the window cleaners around, all the water gathers at the bottom of the window frame. So this sort of sucks it all up. So I've looked at this and I've watched the demos on the television and I've decided this is what I want to buy. And then I saw it a short while ago in Costco and I've, I've put off the idea. I went, no, I, you don't need it. You do not need it. It's ridiculous. What do you want it for? Just get, if you're going to do windows, get out there. I've got these, uh, these cleaning cloths, which are very good for windows. And then I thought, no, I definitely want this thing. So I've now totally convinced myself that I need this Karcher window cleaner. So I go to Costco and I can't, fi- I can't find it. I go all the way round and I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm sure it was here. But like most places, they keep moving things. And every time they move things, I get annoyed because I think I'm so used to going into a place. They do it in Marks and Spencers. They do it apparently to keep, uh, to keep it interesting for you, the customer. They don't do it for themselves. They do it for you so that, so that you wander around and hopefully find other things that you might want to buy before you actually get round to the pot of jam or whatever it is you've gone in there for in the first place. So I'm wandering around Costco, and because it's huge, and because it's a, like a giant warehouse, I'm wandering up and down the aisles. I can't find this blooming thing. I'll try where I think it is, which is next to all the vacuum cleaners. No, it's not there. Go and have a look at the battery section. No. Is it near the car section? No. In the end, it's near the new section that they've put up, which is all to do with Karcher and car washing stuff and all these other bits and pieces. So I pick it up and I look at it, and I'm still not decided whether or not I want to commit myself to 50 quid. Because I think it was about it was about forty something, and then there's VAT on the top of it. So I'm looking at it, and they had one out of the box. And I pick it up, and, I, and I'm, I don't know what I'm doing actually, because I'd already decided in my mind I wanted it. It's just that when you actually come down to it, did I need it? So I pick it up, and I look at it, and I look at the box, and I'm thinking, my God, they cram a lot into this little tiny box. And if you've got little windows, little panes of glass, it's not much good for you. You have to get an extra bit which is the smaller nozzle at the front. So it didn't have the smaller nozzle, just got the big one. So I thought, oh, no, should I buy? In the end, I bought it. 
in the end, I bought it. Because I thought, there's no point in driving home, because I'll get halfway home and then think, I wish I'd bought it. Because if it had been any other make, I probably wouldn't have touched it. But because it's, it's an established make, and I've seen the demonstrations on the television where they go really fast, they do a whole house, all the windows downstairs in something like two minutes. And I thought, well, this is the thing that we need inside and out. He only does the outside of the windows, but I thought inside as well. This could be really brilliant. So, so I bought it. But before that, I set off in the car from home, and I'm thinking, right, I'm not going to go for a walk today. I'm going to go down, so I'm going to pick up some wine. I'm going to pick up the Karcher thing. And as I'm going down the road, um, and we hit traffic all over the place, all of a sudden a new light comes on on the dashboard. And I'll tell you why it became a little bit, little bit exasperating in a moment. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Going down the road, and, and all of a sudden this light comes on on the dashboard. And I've not seen this light before. This is a new one. I'm looking at it, and it's pictures. Whereas before, on the last car, probably like a lot of other people, a little sign flashes up, you know, water, check oil, windscreen, whatever it happens to be. It all came up, and it was all written out for me, which is fair enough. This one has got diagrams. So you sit there for ages and ages trying to work out what the diagram is. So in this, in this particular instance, because it didn't go off, and I'm looking around thinking, have I got something running that, that I'm not aware of? You know, have I got DVDs going on, and it comes up? I don't anything. So I pull into the side of the road, swap glasses, because you can't see a thing. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, what the dickens is that? What does it mean? And it didn't mean anything at all to me. It looked vaguely like an engine with a, with a sort of, a, sort of a, a diagram of just a, just a little engine, which looked like it had coolant. It could have, might have been coolant, it could have been anything, and it looked like it had a fan belt, and that was that. So I phone up the garage, and I speak to Pete. And uh, I said, Peter, I said, hello, Stephen. Oh, yeah, hello. I said, I've got this sign up on the dashboard. I said, I'm just about to go down to Reading. I said, and I don't want to go down to Reading because I don't know what it is. And he said, what does it look like? So I described it. He said, oh, it's the check engine sign. I went, oh, no, not the check engine sign. Because that's always your worst nightmare. When it says check engine, you've got no idea which part of the engine. Is it oil? Is it the tappets? I didn't, I didn't know what it was. So he said, where are you? I said, well, I'm just in Twickenham. He said, well, nip down. Because he's, he's good like that. They don't sort of say pop in a week next Tuesday. They say pop in now. So I popped down to the garage. And uh, the guys come out, and they've got uh, this machine. It's like about the size of a small handheld computer. And underneath the steering wheel, I've never noticed it before, there's like a little socket, and he plugs it in there, and it's the diagnostic test. Uh, there's all sorts of strange things that are hidden away in the car that I've never discovered before. And so he puts it on, and it, it do, does 124 checks on what could possibly be wrong in the engine. And it pinpoints exactly what it is. What do you think it was? After all this time of me panicking and having sat in traffic on the Great West Road, thinking, where's Andy McCall when you need him? Why am I sitting in traffic? I couldn't work out if it was an accident further down or what it was. And uh, he said, you haven't done your petrol cap up. I said, what, it tells you when you have Why doesn't it say, do your petrol cap up? He said, I don't know. So he opens up the thing and it's not done up properly. You've got to turn it three times, three times. And I said, I remember Pete telling me when I bought the car, he said, remember, when you put the petrol cap on, turn it three times. So, of course, I don't know what three times, you know... Makes a noise when you sort of click, 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 click. So I did that. So he went click like that. It locked it, and uh, and the sign went off. <laughs> so fairly simple, fairly simple. So it just goes to prove that you've got no idea when you go out drive what's on your car because you just assume nowadays, as you did a long time ago, that when you pick up a car and you buy it, you get in there and you put petrol in one end, water goes in, and occasionally, you know, you get the thing cleaned, and that's it. I'm not supposed to know anything about the car. I certainly don't know anything. You know, I'm not going to go to the boot, get out the logbook, and start running through how many different symbols are going to pop up in my lifetime on the car. So, so I didn't bother. It's easier to take it back to the place where you bought it from and get them to explain it to you. 
It's what garages are for, and they do it very well, actually. I've taken things in a few times, and I've said, what about this? What about that? And they've said, oh, that's this. It's like looking at tyre pressure. I've got no idea on tyre pressure. I think it's supposed to be 30, 36, but I can't remember half the time. And yet it's printed somewhere inside the car, but it means you've got to get out, go round to the drive, to the passenger side, open up the thing, put your glasses on, read it. It's a very slow process. So it, I, I think it just goes to prove that, um, that we don't really need to sort of worry about car. You just phone up the garage. If you've got a relationship with the garage and you trust them, then, uh, then that's, actually, that's actually good enough as far as I'm concerned. Yesterday, we brought you the story. It was, um, it was of the, uh, the travellers. Do you remember the travellers who'd gone robbing on a farm? The, the two brothers who were convicted. What they did, he was trying to defend his farm. They ran him over with his own, with his own pickup truck. Yesterday, these two vile pieces of work were jailed for 11 years each. Not long enough, actually. But they showed no remorse. Nothing at all, because they're that sort of filth. They even shouted at the victim's 93-year-old mother, 11 years, I'll do it standing on my head. And you think to yourself, I hope somebody sorts you out in prison. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't hope in your wildest dreams that something might happen. Marcus Bristow, who's uh, 32, taunted her as he was led down to the cells after being sentenced for the manslaughter of father of one... Julian Gardner. His brother Terence have 45 previous convictions. What filth they are. What disgusting people they are. What an embarrassment to the travelling community. Dear God in heaven. But anyway, they led a, a gang of travellers. That's what they do. They th- That's why on Big Fat Gypsy Wedding we're pixelated most of the time. Because they're either coming out of prison to be picked up in sort of stretch limousines with champagne, laughing at the judges and laughing at the victims. Perhaps we we should go round and rob some of their sites, perhaps you'll see how they like it, because they don't seem to worry about anybody else at all, do they? Disgusting people, they really are. It's such a a shame and an embarrassment to everybody. Little Lexi's in the paper today. Lexi is uh, is British. Lexi is spelled L-E-X-C-I. You know where we're coming from here, don't you? And um, she's lovely, she's big... Her eyes are big and blue and adorned with eyeshadow and mascara. Her mouth is accentuated with pink lipstick and her long blonde curls tumble down her back. She's got a wardrobe bulging with fabo clothes and she's just three years old, ladies and gentlemen. Lexi's mother uh, is called Emma. Emma's quite an ordinary name, but Lexi, she puts into beauty pageants. Barely more than a baby and she's going to be going into the Miss Mini Princess UK competition. Ugh, disgusting. Next month... They say a hundred British girls will be parading down a catwalk in Leicester. The contest will include a baby princess category for children under 12 months old and tiny princess category for one-year-olds. Lexi will take part. To be honest with you, she's no different to any other child. She is no more beautiful, no more attractive, no more anything. It's just that she's been done up like a little adult, I'm afraid. But she's taking part in the, in the little princess things. And then there's another woman here. This is nine-year-old Jade Naylor. Jade is desperately unattractive. I don't want to be rude here, but her mother's even worse. They say here, the mother says, wait, wait, wait for this. Jade might want to be a topless glamour model when she's older. A pageant like this will help develop her confidence. It's like child abuse. It's absolutely like child... You look at this this little picture of pageant princess, nine-year-old Jade Naylor, and you start wondering about whether social services should become involved. She might want to be a topless glamour model when she's older. That's now seen as a career, ladies and gentlemen. Perhaps next, prostitution as a career. Perhaps it should be offered at school. 
Perhaps we sort of have, have kids that they go, do you know, I think I'd quite like to be a prostitute. And they go, well, I don't really think it's a career. Well, I don't know. There's that woman who's, who slept with Wayne Rooney. She's making £1,200 a night. Why should you bother stand there serving coffee or working in a, a thing like that? I can, I can sleep with footballers and then sell the stories. Jade might want to be a topless glamour model when she's older. God, you do worry, don't you? Small wonder that, you know, the papers are full of these desperate wannabes every day. And every day you say, listen, it'll end in tears. It'll end it. There is a limit to how long, you know, you can go around selling stories of who you've slept with. When you look at poor Jennifer Thompson, and then you look at a picture inside of what Jennifer Thompson looks like now. Oh, my Godfathers. I don't want to be rude, but by God, you're plain. By, I mean, presumably it was the only path open to you. Selling stories of sleeping with midgets and footballers. I mean, it's a bit sad. I have to go with your mother, I'm afraid, Jennifer. Why don't you just stop messing about, stop being a silly little person, get a proper job and start developing a career? You know, prostitution and selling stories is not a career. He says, trying to convince himself that the papers are not full of this every single day, which they are. And you can't do anything about it, because the more girls see it, and when you get stupid mothers going, Jade might want to be a topless... She's nine. Already they must have discussed being a topless model. So perhaps Jade, by the age of 12, will be having breast implants, you know, if her mother's got anything to do. That's what worries me about all these people. It's the mothers who are the stupid ones, inflicting their stupid ideas on their children, who are sort of open to anything. There is a, there is a girl in the paper today, and... It's 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 quite a quite a strange story. She's um, she's very pale. That's all I could tell you. Her name is Venus. Okay, she's in this country. She's British, and she's uh, she's a living doll. Okay, because she paints her face white. She's slightly peculiar. That's all I'll tell you. And she goes on the internet. She said she's fifteen, right? And uh, sometimes she had people ask to see my panties. I mean, she's that low rent, and her mummy's going to take her to. Um, to Japan, where she could be a living doll. She's educated at home, as you can well imagine, because she lives this 24 hours a day, and they've got a picture of her. She's very, very peculiar. She has a website. I won't tell you what the website is, because I think it's slightly odd. And, uh, and she poses as a little... as a walking, talking toy. That's all I... And she's 15, and she's called Venus. And, um, again, social services! You need to get these people sorted out. I mean, she speaks to her millions of fans... I suspect she speaks to a lot of dirty old men, but that's uh, that's just me erring on the side of caution. Even Deirdre Sanders says, It's very sad to see a young girl's life chances stunted so young. It's as if Margaret, her mother, wanted a doll and not a real child from the moment Venus reached the age where she would start to break free of her mother's all-pervasive influence. It's tragic that a girl in her mid-teens feels she can't start the day without a layer of false makeup masking the real her, and then she sits in front of a camera, entertaining... Let's just call them sad people, shall we? It's, it's awful, really. Apparently, her mother says she's getting more and more friends from the YouTube community. Oh, dear God in heaven, you must be naive, love. You really must. You can't, you sometimes wonder about the, the intelligence of some of these people. Because, oh, it's really lovely, the YouTube community really take to her. Of course they do. She's 15 and she's posing like a little, like a little doll. It's not, if, it was this, if this was in another country, I could have quite understood it, but I haven't. It's like the Britain's Got Talent sensation. I was going to mention her earlier on. This is Annalisa Ching. Okay, Annalisa Ching's family. You remember she was the one who said that she would pose nude for Prince Harry. She would play naked for Prince Harry. 
Her family have been embarrassed beyond belief. Her father's been kicked out of his job in China. They don't like this kind of thing. This is, this is cheap, low rent. And, uh, and she's brought shame on the family. And so they're suffering. At school, people have sort of held up pictures of her. And she's just an embarrassment, I'm afraid. She's obviously quite, quite desperate to be something. Um, and, and it's just awful. Her furious relatives have kicked off, yelling abuse at her parents and claiming she's selling her body by doing new shots. I mean... It is a little bit sad that somebody who plays the violin feels the necessary need to take their clothes off and pose and start talking about, you know, who they would pose nude for and play, play in the nude for because her family, who all live in China, are suffering the consequences. And she quite clearly knows about it because she says here that um, this sort of thing is really frowned upon in China where my family live and they're very upset. What do you do it for then? Why would you, why do you want to deliberately go out there and upset your family? I mean, Annalisa, we've seen it before, people who play the violin, dear. It's no big deal. I've seen three-year-olds playing violins. They don't want to take their clothes off. And to be honest with you, if you don't want to embarrass your family anymore, don't take your clothes off. You know, it's not big and it's not clever. Nobody's ever going to take you seriously in the music world, are they? Start taking your clothes off. Perhaps, perhaps you don't know that. So perhaps I've, I've done you a favour by telling you that it, it might get you in the papers now because you'll find no end of agents... We'll be more than happy to say, yeah, go on, take some more off. Take some... Why don't you make a film? Didn't do Talisa's career any harm, did it? Didn't do Katie Price's career any harm, you know? I mean, I know people who've seen the Talisa film. Then they've sent her advice on how to do it properly. Because it's embarrassing, really, isn't it, when you get somebody on... You know, if you're going to make a film, at least do it properly and get some experience. But uh, when you're not much cop at something, don't, for goodness sake, put it up on the internet. It's LBC 97.3, it's 4.30. Apparently the good news is we're going to live longer. The bad news is you've got no money. Because uh, something you worry about. I mean, people worry about that now, actually. People worry about not having no money. But because you're living longer, although not necessarily if you're doing shift work. If you're doing shift work, they now tell you that there's a very good chance of, of picking up uh, diabetes. And, uh, and any other illnesses around. Because your sleep pattern has been destroyed so that's what it is. Although I've had no trouble. I don't have any trouble sleeping. don't have any trouble doing anything, actually. But I know that some people, if they're doing shifts, and so one minute you're doing nights, next minute you're doing days, next minute you're doing afternoons, then you're doing night, then that can make you quite ill. Uh, talking of making people ill, there's a piece in one of the papers today, and I can't find it. And it's on, it's on the woman who wrote Mary Poppins. It must be because we mentioned it the other day. We mentioned it the other day, then all of a sudden the papers start doing pieces on it because it turned out that the woman who wrote it had this huge battle on her hands. She never wanted Disney to touch Mary Poppins. She hated the finished result, absolutely hated it. And so never, ever worked with Disney ever again. Uh, Walt came over, chatted to her. And we know all about it because it's all well documented. Strangely enough, actually, her son lives in Chelsea Harbour and wrote to me some years ago uh, about his mum and had all sorts of... I don't know how much memorabilia they've actually got of her. But the film did very, very well. It's constantly shown and people love it, but bears no resemblance to the books at all. And so there's a huge piece in one of the papers today on exactly how, how awful she was as a mother and things like that. So, I mean, I don't, I don't sort of mind that. I think, it's, I think it's quite sad that they then start raking over what somebody was like a long, long time ago because we don't need to know that. I couldn't really care less, actually. Somebody writes a book, I'm not interested in what they're like as a person. Unless they're a mass murderer, in which case I think we should be told. But I'm, I'm, not, really, I'm not really bothered about what somebody was like as a mother. It's of no interest to me. It's of interest to the family. But it's not of any interest to me. I did laugh at the BBC. They've taunted Simon Cowell. He's moved. Britain's got talent. Well, he hasn't. ITV have moved it. Presumably they sat down and went, listen, the voice are doing better. What can we do? 
Uh, I know. Let's move it later. So now they're moving it, I think, to 8.30. I think it's 8.30. And, uh, and that means that people are going to get more of a chance to watch The Voice and Britain's Got Talent might lose even more of an audience. If anything, I'd have, I'd have moved it sooner. I put it on a bit earlier. Most of it's filmed anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. You can, you know, the thing can be edited. So now, from April 21st, the show will be screened at 8.30, and the voice will run from 7 to 8.30, so no longer will be the overlaps. You can watch the voice, and then 8.30, you can then flip over and watch Britain's Got Talent. But you bet your bottom dollar, the BBC are going to put something really good on at 8.30. There'll be some really good... I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but there must be something really good coming on. And that will then go on there, and that will trounce, unfortunately, Britain's Got Talent. Because, unfortunately, Britain hasn't got any talent. There was a bloke on there the other day, and it's... I mean, it shows... I don't know when it was filmed, this one. We have to ask Dawn. She's our expert on these programmes. She does She does go to all these things. And, uh, and it was a bloke who came on with ping-pong balls, and I thought, he's going to throw it up in the air, it's going to fall into his mouth, and then he's going to go... And he's going to start, you know, doing a... Ju- no, he couldn't even get the thing to land in his mouth. So we sat there, and then we had the... The fake people sitting there, you know, Simon pushed the button and then the next person pushed the button, I think Alicia, and then David Walliams pushed the button and, and they just went, it was rubbish. But they dragged it out for five minutes because that's what they do on the programme. You've got to fill it up because there's not enough people on there with any talent. So you fill it up with a load of people who are just a bit silly and then you can have a, you can have a bit of a laugh about them which is rather a shame. You know, it's, it's, quite, it's quite nice, actually. Sometimes I laugh when I hear some people coming onto LBC and, uh, and you realise, well, what a sort of funny little voice, haven't they? You know, especially when they're on Twitter. They're, they're very funny little voices. And they say, I'm 190, I am, you know, dreadful. And um, so, so now Simon Cowell running scared. He has failed. He's not really. He's still got a very... It's only a matter of, of some, something like 800,000 people. In television terms, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. What what was funny the other day was watching Watchdog with Anne Robinson holding up the Apple iPhone 4 and saying, I wouldn't employ this man, was in fact she did employ the man who does the voice on the Apple iPhone 4 because he's the voice of, uh, of her quiz show, who used to work at LBC, Mr Biggs, who's got a very, very distinctive voice and recorded them apparently years ago, all the things for the iPhone 4. And it turns out you can't do any travel information because it's only for America. And it doesn't do local shops. It's a bit difficult on things like that. And it doesn't do certain... I still think it's quite clever. It does voice recognition. So there you go. Uh, Ian. Good morning, Steve. Morning. This is interesting about the girl that wants to be the living doll and go to Japan. Yes, I'd rather she went soon. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's quite, quite funny, really, because there was an exhibition in China the other day where they... Uh, Automatons. Yeah, the Japanese have come out with um, an automaton called Geminoid TMF. And she sings, doesn't she? She's got everything. I mean, you think about it. She could, it says here she can smile, furrow her brows, move her mouth, look stays, can talk, sing, play recordings, and mouth other people's voices. Good heaven, it sounds just like Katie Price. That? It's Katie Price. Oh, you. you it's Katie play. Price. Is I it, was well, thinking it, that. With, with the exception of the, sp- of the speaking bit. But it's, it's, there is no career in this. The, the Japanese have got thousands of girls that dress like this and paint themselves white. They're called geishas. But she, what exactly? Um, the trouble is, she is slightly odd at 15. I mean, she's not, I d- she's not a normal 15. I don't like 15-year-olds sitting in front of the computer cameras, you know, disporting no. themselves for, for people to leer over. I don't like that idea. No, it's not, it's not a good look. Um, she hasn't got any sense of fashion whatsoever. She's some, I mean, I don't know what she's like to speak to, but no doubt, I mean, because she doesn't have an agent. Her mother's appealing for an agent. Oh, she'll get an agent. 
Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Where the agent would take them is another thing. Well, you know who'll actually put her on television. She'll be on this morning straight away where Holly Willabooby will sit there (laughs) and attempt to sort of elicit some sort of conversation out of this girl, who I'm assuming won't have really a lot to say. She might not want, but Hollywood movie might not want on the show. She might be competition. No, no, they'll absolutely put her on there. You know, listen, you know for a fact, if there's somebody in the paper that we all look at and go, that is disgusting, like a prostitute who slept with somebody, they'll put them on this morning because it's it's a low rent program. They're going for the lowest common denominator. Well, I, I wouldn't quite put that girl in that in that in that league, but. Uh... She's heading on a dangerous path if she keeps going down this, you know, sitting in front of a TV screen, having people comment about her. Well, her mother's been been putting her in makeup since she was six. Well, that says more about the beauty pageants, doesn't it? Yes. The the good news is she speaks five languages. I mean, do you remember the the programme years ago called Mini Pops? Oh, yes. Uh, when, when the producers were told, you know, this looks like paedophilia. You know, it's going to attract... Uh, they were horrified, weren't they? But I loved the Mini Pops. They actually brought it, out albums and everything. And all we funny. saw them was was just cute kids who actually who danced and... Sang. I wasn't even sure if they were singing live. I thought it was done in a studio. When it was an age of innocence. No, no one thought that except the people that were like that. Yes. And, and to his point, it's a bit like Morecambe and Wise when they were in bed together. You never thought anything about that. It was no. an age of innocence and now we've... It's gone. I used to worry about Noddy and Big Ears, frankly. Teddy is a bit of a worry to me, yeah. I tell you. I mean, and also, I, I worried a little bit about, about the bears in the wood and Goldilocks and all that kind of thing. Who's been sleeping in my bed? You know, I'm shouting out Jennifer Thompson, you know, and well, it turns out not to have been. But I was never convinced about the Teletubbies, but still, we're moving on. No, and Pete, Peter Pan, best friend of fairy. What can he tell you? <laughs> you know, all you, have, you have to go through all, all the children's stories and you can just destroy them, which is so sad. <laughs> It's so sad nowadays. But so, so, what, so what are we going to do with this girl? Are we going to say, listen, take her to Japan, or let's educate the mother and say they've got automatons that can do things like this? Well, we don't want to see a 15-year-old with a vacant face. Maybe she needs to go to Japan to have her eyes open, which is a very good look in Japan, apparently. Strangely enough, she spends 120 quid a month on clothes, but it's not. But this is all the clothes that she wears for her role as a walking, talking toy. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you ever get to that stage. Margaret says she wanted to stay at home. School wasn't right for Venus, so I supported that choice. I mean, quite clearly, it's a self-indulgent mother who's got a daughter who's a little bit of a re- rebel, I think. Shame, really. Anyway, Ian, thank you for that. Very much indeed. So here she is, the, the living doll Venus. You can only worry about... I'm looking at the pictures from her website. It's, it's just not normal, I'm afraid. But uh, anyway... Uh, she has been practising Japanese singing, learning Japanese dance routines, researching for makeup styles, filming videos, and her fans are very important to her. Her mum bleaches her hair and eyebrows every four weeks to give it synthetic texture. She has a distinctive voice. To, oh, dear, she's got a distinctive voice. What does that mean, a distinctive voice? Margaret says, we are Western, but have lived in a lot of countries. Her accent is high-pitched and squeaky because she can speak five languages. That in itself makes Venus unique. Oh dear, you're talking about balmy bonkers here, aren't we? Absolutely. Oh, she's been on, has she? She's already been on this morning. It's not normal, is it? Why do these parents want to parade their children on television? Oh, good grief. It's not normal, I'm afraid, in this day and age. We don't want to see that kind of thing. We really don't. 84850, uk. A lot of people still picking up on uh, poor old Alan Davis. Uh, he, he said to me, calm down, calm down. He couldn't understand why they wouldn't play football on the anniversary of Hillsborough. And then he went out the other day, he posted something, I think, on, on Facebook, which, uh, which didn't do him any favours either. Uh, and he went out doing that sort of scouse look, and now he's done a, a second attack on the Reds. 
Oh, it's hopeless, really, isn't it? You, you, you feel like saying, Alan, stop it. Stop it now, because it, it's just going to end in, in tears, I'm afraid. And, uh, oh, Jenny Thompson, uh, you know, the hooker. I'm delighted to report that she's heading to Aintree for the Grand National this weekend. Just a slight warning for all the jockeys listening at the moment. OK, avoid. You can't miss her. There's a, there's a very good picture of her looking very ordinary in the, uh, the Daily Star today. It must have been when she appeared on television. But um, she's, uh, she's trying to justify what she did. Her parents must be so embarrassed. They really must be. What an embarrassment. You're ch- there's my daughter, the hooker. Imagine what the cousins are thinking. We used to play with her as a child, and now she charges for us to play. Not so much, not so much good news there, I'm again. But uh, there is some good news for, for Mick and Kirk Norcross. That's the sort of son and peculiar father in the only way is Essex. They've, uh, they've bought a Victorian hotel. Well, I, th- I suspect uh, Mick has bought it, because he's class. And uh, they've been given the go-ahead for a £4 million transformation for that read a bit under a million, I should imagine. Only putting a spa in. It's going to be a boutique hotel. This is the Grand Hotel in Leon C. Into a restaurant, spa and bar, complete with luxury bedrooms. The boutique hotel will also be available for weddings and chi-chi private parties. I have to tell you now, Kirk, I've seen you on The Only Way is Essex. You couldn't attract chi-chi if your life depended on it. We've seen the low-rent club that you run, OK? It only attracts those sort of people. They don't have any money. I'm sorry to explain that to you, but anybody chi-chi ain't going to be going to the Grand Hotel in Leon C. You can put in a spa and put in a boutique hotel as much as you like. People will not spend the money, OK? They, they really, really will not spend the money. It's because you don't attract the right people. That's why all the bars that featured on The Only Way's Essex have started saying and have started a backlash, saying, we don't want you filming here anymore, you're attracting the wrong people. And it attracts people who just want to come and gawp at over-made-up ladyboys. You know, that's all it is. So don't... Don't think it's going to work. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be positive, but, you know, Leon C, Chi-Chi, Boutique Hotel, doesn't quite go together, does it? Not really. Um, Sarah says, uh, Britain's got talent the other night with the dancing dog. No, that was the last series, Sarah. You know it was the last, honestly. Last series, Popsy. Last series, not this series. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't put on something that was on the last series, would they? Definitely not. Don't think so. 84850, steve uk. Uh, my old mate, Rob Goldstone, in New York. He says, I'm working with Tom Cruise next month. Maybe we can get him to call into the show. Oh, absolutely, Rob, that'll be nice. Actually, I was talking about you the other day, strange enough. Rob Goldstone, you, I must. I have to tell you the story because it's actually quite funny. And uh, Rob Goldstone joined LBC a long, long time ago. And he came down from a radio station. He, he will forgive me for saying that he's a little... Sh- he might have lost a lot of weight. He was a little short, fat bloke. Within... Three months of being at LBC, he'd managed to get us all celebrity membership at Stringfellows. We were eating free in restaurants like there's no tomorrow. This man could fix anything. He had all sorts of jobs. He was very good at turning things around. And he went to work for Michael Jackson when Michael Jackson toured Australia. So, and he was with him all the time in Australia. So, consequently, we were getting all these stories back about what Michael Jackson was really like and everything else. So, if Rob Goldstone, who has, uh, who, who does a lot on the internet, don't you, Rob? A lot on the internet. And uh, so, if he's working with Tom Cruise, he's working with Tom Cruise. He's not one of those sort of people who tells you something and then you go, yeah, yeah, that, that's just, you know, a little bit, little bit pie in the sky. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't work like that at all. So, um... <laughs> He says, I'll try and get Tom Cruise to call into your show. He needs you. It is true, actually. He needs as much help as he can get. And probably with the time difference, that could be quite good. We'd love to have a talk to, uh, to Tom. Absolutely. I mean, if I can fit him in, Rob, 
You know, I'm not guaranteeing because sometimes we are quite busy and sometimes, you know, Tom Cruise might have to wait, you know, because we've got other things to do. We've got to talk about hookers and everything else. And, you know, we might have to say, listen, Tom, you know, leave it for a little while. We'll call you back when we've got a free moment. We can slip you in. OK, an observation on the uh, the uh, the beauty pageants, Lexi. The name was around the time of a character in Emmerdale, though she probably thought of it all by herself, says Graham and Chorley Wood. Well, that's where people get names from. Have you noticed now? I didn't... It's only occurred to me over the past ten years that people watch television programmes or they watch the pop charts. And so that's why there's lots of little girls called Kylie out there. Lots of little boys called Jason. Because it was all taken... It depended on, you know, what names were in the charts at the time. But it's all these misspellings of things now. Lexi, L-E-X-I. And and sometimes it's L-E-X-X-I. Or, you know, it's L-E-X... I think in this one, it's L-E-X-C-I. You know, I mean, they really are. They're, they're, they're lowest common denominators. You know, there, there is the spelling of a name, and then there is the incorrect spelling of the name. And the incorrect spelling of the name would be L-E-X-C-I. There was a girl the other day, and I wish I could remember who she was. She was in The Only Way is Essex, and they dropped her. And for the life of me, I cannot remember her name. She was in yesterday's papers, and I was going to mention it on the programme, because obviously she's managed to find an agent with what little talent she had. I can't imagine how that happened, but people will jump on a bandwagon. And so they've started pumping out stories that this girl, whose name I cannot remember, um, is, is really up for doing... I think she let it slip during an interview, like they do. Um, she'd like to do Celebrity Big Brother, or I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And, and which, of course, I mean, she's not a celebrity... You know, she wasn't on The Only Way as Essex. And incidentally, Jabba the, sorry, Gemma Collins, who is on it, they're now putting her mother on there, who's called Joan Collins. And that's where the resemblance finishes, I'm afraid. Gemma's mother, Joan Collins, looks nothing like the glamorous Joan Collins. She's a rather... Well, she's like an old version of her daughter. Bit like daughter, like mother. But anyway, this girl who was in the only way assessed. Oh, and they've also dumped the two, the two Italian boys. Are they the the weightlifters or the muscle boys? Because they were too boring. Uh, to be honest with you, they've got to get rid of Arge next. I think Gemma's got to go. I think uh, Lydia Dim's got to go. I think we've had enough. There's nothing going on there. Get her mum a new hairstyle and then just sort of lose the family and let them sort of get on with being business women. That's so much easier. And uh, who else can we get? Oh, some very odd. People. Joey Essex has got to go. It's turning into a little bit of a gay club, I'm afraid. And I'm not, not a big fan of sort of Joey Essex prancing around in Ugg boots, I'm afraid. So there's this girl, and she used to be in The Only Way as Essex. And, and so then she gets an agent after she's dropped from the last series. And I can't remember her name. She's quite pretty, but then, you know, she looks like she's what, what she is, which is glamour model. Because glamour models now are just sort of girls who will take their tops off. You don't have to be particularly attractive, just as long as you're prepared to get your boobs out, that's OK. And so she's got this agent, and the agent has now put out this story that apparently uh, there's now a bidding war over her for I'm a celebrity or Celebrity Big Brother. And uh, they said in the feature the other day, it made me laugh, they said, and of course, the price is now heading up to a quarter of a million. They're so desperate to get her on the show. I thought, nobody knows who she is. You could probably get her for 20 quid and a cab fare, I would think. She's she's not going to be charging any more than that. There's no way she's going to be getting a quarter of a million. You know, it's just not going to be happening. But they have to put it out there. And then I'm sure these girls read it and go, oh, look, I'm worth a quarter of a million. You think, no, you're not really. They're just saying that to try and drum up some interest. So people go, oh, right, she's worth it. Because people believe it. I spoke to somebody here a short while ago, one of the producers, and he seriously believed that most of the cast of The Only Way is Essex are millionaires. I said, no, they're not. 
They've got nothing like a million pounds. You don't think Amy Charles has got a million quid in the bank, do you? Absolutely not. I mean, nowhere near it. I mean, it, it's only really the Daily Star that tries to keep these poor creatures' careers going. So you've got here Billy Mucklow. I mean, it kind of, you, you kind of know what she does straight away. You don't even have to find out or look at a picture. Billy Mucklow is, uh, she's a, a busty blonde beautician, businesswoman, an Essex girl, and here she is wearing somebody else's hair, and she's opening a yoga studio and plans to get the sexy cars to whip their kit off and get involved. Lovely. She's opening the first Bikram yoga studio in Essex. She said, it's all new, so it's really exciting, and it's going to be, I'm going to be pinking everything up. Oh, lovely. She said, it's going to be hot and sweaty and all the cast will be getting involved and getting their boobs out. Oh, lovely. That is so exciting. I really don't... Billy Mucklow. You know, just read the first four letters, you know, and that kind of tells you exactly what she's, what she's trawling, I'm afraid. What do we want? Nothing? All right, small break. Back in a sec. LBC 97.3 So, a desperate attempt to get you watching the fifth dreary series of The Only Way's Essex, Billy Mucklow, B-I-L-L-I, another silly little chav spelling, I'm afraid, is going to be opening up this uh, yoga studio, and uh, she said all the girls be getting their boobs out, and then Arge can turn up. Oh, dear. Really, I think Arge should have been dropped ages ago. But she says, I'm going to try and get the boys involved, and Arge is going to want to enjoy a little bit of the yoga. I think, actually, he probably thinks it's yoghurt. You know, because he does eat a lot. In fact, you could lose him now. He doesn't really contribute anything. He doesn't have any interesting story. Like, the fact he slept with his ex, I mean, was so boring for most people and a little bit tacky. But uh, meanwhile, Jessica Wright, that's the one who can't sing, and his poor little Mike's uh, sister, Mark's sister, says that she can't wait for the show to hit uh, Marbella for a summer special, um, forgetting, of course, that they've already filmed it. Bit of a shame, really. And, and here's little Lauren Poppy. Uh, who's the oldest page three girl in the business. She's about 40, I think, now, and uh, not shy about showing off her breast implants because she had them in and then she'd have them taken out and uh, she's, she's enjoying a resurgence. But, uh, again, it's the voices. It's the voices. I mean, it's just, it's just dreadful, really. They open their mouths and they, they sound like fishwives. Lauren Goodyear, you know, Billy Mucklow, Lauren Poppy... Jessica Wright. They just they just need to go for elocution. It would help, really, actually. Steve, you're wrong. They did have a dance. It, no, they didn't, honestly. Honestly, you lot winding me up. You're terrible, really. They never had a dancing dog. Really didn't. Morning, Treacle. Many thickos in the late 80s, says Mike, named their little girls Nikita after the Elton John song and video. Unfortunately, he was a communist leader, not a blonde model in a video. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like the song Nikita, actually. I'm thinking and I'm saying prayers as well for um, for um, for the BG at the moment, who's not very well, who had to cancel the other night. He had to cancel. And um, and so we're we're keeping our fingers crossed. He's got pneumonia at the moment. And there's only two BG. They've, they've really been hit by tragedy, haven't they? They've absolutely been hit by tragedy. So we keep our fingers crossed for him. I love the story of Malaysian Airlines. You know, there's one thing I hate travelling with. Uh, on air- children. And they've banned children from the upper deck of its A380s. John Warrington will be thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. And so, I wonder whether or not you'd like kids banned. I'd like kids banned full stop. I think there should be special airlines just for children where they run around and do things because they're at that stage where you can't really run around on an aircraft. People want to sleep and just watch the movie and, uh, and sort of do everything else. So now they've banned them. 
Unfortunately, for families who want to travel together, it's a bit of a problem because you can't travel with Malaysia because they don't want the children here. They've decided to ban children because of the ear-piercing screams. Now, I've been on planes with children before. Generally, they don't do anything at all unless nobody's told them about swallowing as you take off so that your ears don't go like that, which is absolutely terrible. That's the worst bit, isn't it? Don't ever fly if you've, if, if you've actually got a cold, because you can come... I came back with a cold once from America, and I was deaf for three days. Three days. It was... I couldn't do anything about it at all. It was absolutely terrible. And then finally, I was sitting in the bath one morning, and all of a sudden... And I could hear everything again. Up until then, it was like listening, you know, with sort of your ears muffled. So, well done to Malaysia Airlines, but bad news if you're a family... And I'm reliably informed there would be quite a number of families travelling with Malaysia. They've got 70 economy, 66 business class seats, and first class is situated on the lower deck. This, this, see, I would want to sit on the top deck, wouldn't you? 70 economy, 66 business class. And also, they've said that babies will not be welcome in the first class cabin. <laughs> oh, dear. They say that they get many complaints from passengers because it's got lots of businessmen on Malaysia Airlines and they can't sleep because of, uh, because of kids crying. Well, I've been on flights before, and to be honest with you, to be, to be quite fair, I don't think I've heard many kids cry. Most kids, you know, if they're very young, and I've not seen that many very young kids on planes, they tend not to cry. They tend not to cry. But this is, I mean, it's going to be interesting because kids can now sit in the economy section of the lower deck and the whole upper deck for adults and older children only. What a... Oh, 12. 12 is older children because they're not likely to scream and shout and do everything else that little kids do. And it can be quite annoying. I've sat on a bus before now where some kids started screaming because it's either teething or it wants a feed or whatever it is. And the mothers just ignore it. And you feel like saying, shouldn't you pick it up or do something? You know, it's really annoying for everybody else sitting on the bus. You know, the noise is... T- I mean, kids have got really... Whoa, talk about high decibels. Cracky. 84850. Uh, Steve, what is this country coming to to get Britain's Got Talent off and stop embarrassing us with these fools on the Only Way's Essex? Yeah, but it's... I mean, where else would these girls... I mean, otherwise, they'd, they'd, they'd just be girls trowling on makeup for nobody. So you've got to put them on a television programme. It's quite a good concept. I quite I like the, the idea of it. It's just that they've all got such terrible voices. The concept of the programme is, is lovely. I don't have a problem with that at all. They don't represent anybody in Essex. I know, because I go to Essex on a regular basis, and we've said before, we've been to the Essex shows, you don't find these over-made-up, sort of brassy-type girls there. It's all the, all the people who go to the Essex show and everything else. They're normal Essex people. They're not all covered with fake tans and everything else. If you've got anybody who, who looked like that at turning up at the Essex County show, people would think they were renting by the hour. They wouldn't actually think they were anything to do with Essex at all, because they don't look like it. It's, it's a shame, really. But it's the voices. The voices are terrible. Absolutely awful. They, I mean, most of them sound like blokes, which is a shame because that, that's their whole raison d'etre in life. So I'd love to hear from you if you've been on flights before and you think, yes, well, I'm going with Malaysia Airlines in future. If they're going to ban children from the upper deck, we want to go for that. 0845 6060 973. Did you buy an e-reader to read books? I do see people on the train with them, but do you prefer a proper book or have you gone for the e-reader? I mean, I've got an iPad and I can read books on my iPad. In fact, I've downloaded tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. All the free things. I've downloaded. I'm, I'm, I'm too mean to spend money 
on things. So I've downloaded all the, uh, the free stuff, and it's all Charles Dickens. Because, to be honest with you, when I was growing up, I never really read Charles Dickens. So now I'm thinking, as I'm going into my 40s, it's quite nice to start reading. The 1840s. Uh, it's quite nice to start reading things that you never read before. And then learn a little bit more about London. So I quite fancy that idea. But do you have an e-reader? Do you use it? Or is it one of those novelties that you bought because it was fairly inexpensive? Now they're saying the sales are declining. Or have you just bought one and you're going, yeah, it's lovely. Not really, I'd rather read a... Pro- it's cheaper to read a proper book, isn't it? Than actually sort of pay to download things. 0845 973 And uh, a poster which shows a coffin-shaped pie and poses the question, not ready to meet your maker, as recommending vegetarianism in the fight against obesity. Put up in Gloucester. Are you vegetarian? You're not really that anti-us meat-eaters, are you really? You can tell us in strict confidence on LBC. On FM, station with Steve Allen. Morning, four minutes past five. Yes, I'm also backing the campaign to save Twickenham Studios. Ridiculous to close it down. I know that they're facing bankruptcy. I know that it's difficult to make things pay nowadays. They don't have that many people on the payroll because it's almost like a lock-up studio. But they've got loads of work in the pipeline. It only takes a few people like Barbara Broccoli and I think Paul McCartney was getting behind it and a few other big names to, uh, to really keep it open. I mean, you have to. It's history. It's history. It's made some films. It's like the Ealing Studios. I love driving past Ealing Studios. I've not been up there for a while, actually. But I love driving past it because it just looks like a studio. It's like going to Los Angeles and going to Hollywood and, uh, and having a look at all the, the studios there. The st- I mean, it's just amazing. It is like... It's a, because you've only ever seen it on the movies... Then you see it in real life. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Rob Goldstone tells me that he is the same size, Sill, bless his heart, but he, he's, he said, I haven't lost weight, but I'm a lot taller. She's <laughs> treasure. I don't think you are. I don't think you are. I saw Ivan the other day. Uh, Ivan and Maureen, when they, they came up, they were staying with, uh, with Chris and Sharon, and I'm convinced that Ivan shrunk. And, and I think he has actually shrunk a little bit. I looked at him, I thought, you've definitely shrunk. There was a line in Steel Magnolias where I think uh, one of the characters says to somebody, have you shrunk? And he goes, I think so. She says, I thought you had as well. Uh, on the subject of, uh, of flights, uh, one here says, Steve, don't they have business women on Malaysian Airlines? Probably not, actually. Probably mainly men. Main, the, the majority would be business men, I'm afraid. And this is the story that um, Malaysia Airlines have banned children from the upper deck of its A380s. They've, they've decided that they don't watch it because they scream. Well, I've been on flights before, and I know we've got lots of trolley dollies listening. They're not that bad, are they? I mean, sometimes kids cry because they don't know what's going on. Because you sort of, I love the takeoff. Best bit is the takeoff bit. The worst bit for me is flying. The takeoff bit I love, the landing I love. Especially where you think, oh, God, we, I'm sure we're going to crash through something. I, I worry about that all the time, actually. I always take out my extra insurance. So, child-free flights, would that, would that clinch it for you? 0845 6060 973. And if you're a vegetarian, you see, I, I can't quite get to grips with vegetarians. I'm a bit sorry. I've always found vegetarians a bit selfish. I've always thought to myself that vegetarians... If, if you're a vegetarian and you're having a dinner party, you're not going to be cooking meat, are you? And yet, if I, as a meat-eater, meat pardon me, I'm going to have a dinner party, I'm going to have to cook something because somebody will go, I'm vegetarian. Like on an aeroplane, they go, OK, we've got a choice of steak and kidney pie or steak. They go, I'm vegetarian. Well, you just have to have fruit then, won't you? We don't, we don't seem to cater, really. I did go to a vegetarian restaurant once. It wasn't really vegetarian. It was called Macrobiotic. And it was the biggest pile of rubbish I've ever had in my entire life. It's like eating pulses and lentils and, and sort of cress and stuff. It was really dull. 
It was really the dullest thing ever. Although a friend of mine yesterday, Graham and Barbara, went to a restaurant in Teddington that apparently has got a really good rating and it's serving Nouvelle Cuisine. He said it was the biggest pile of rubbish they've ever been to. I can't remember the name of it. I might go and... Exp- but I, I can't... There were two of them, including a bottle of wine and, of course, he said some... He said the cheese board was just... He said, I think it was something like ten little bits of cheese with little bits of celery. There was no, they had to ask for bread. Bread was extra to go with the cheese board, and that was ten pounds. He said so they ended up spending twelve pounds on the cheese board. He said, and the first course was so small, it came with... It was Nouvelle. For that read, where's the rest of the food? And it was two little carrots on a plate with this little round thing. He said, we looked at it. He said, we looked round it. He said, and then, he said, he said, I got Barbara to peer over my shoulder. He said, and look at the couple at the next table to see what they were looking at on their... Fa-. He said, nobody was doing the same. And this restaurant's been there for about four years. £105 they paid for two people. This is in Teddington. And he said it was rubbish. He said, we won't go there again. And I said, well, that's what people forget. People tend to forget that if you've got a local restaurant that it's for local people. They're quite right. You don't drive through Teddington and go, oh, look, a restaurant, I think we'll go and eat there. You don't do that. You live in Teddington, you eat in Teddington. But you soon get that. There were about nine people eating, he said, and they all looked a bit disappointed. Because <laughs> people don't... We don't complain in this country. I complain all the time. We don't complain. If, if you complain, people think you're a troublemaker. So I complain. I complain. I'm always advising people, complain. You have to complain. Unless you tell people it's wrong, they won't learn and they won't get it right. And some people, some people want to hear you complain. They want to know, how can we get it right? So when we ate in this place in Epping on Saturday, normally you wouldn't, they just bring the food to the table and we go, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. But to be honest with you, at the end, we did say, he said, how can we improve it? I said, well, the food could be a lot better. I said, I'm not being rude. You know, it was okay, but in a restaurant, when you're paying good money for something, when you're paying £18 for a course, I want a bit more than okay, I'm afraid. I want, I want excellence. You know, £18. And Graham was telling me their main courses in this restaurant he was eating at in Teddington, £26. Now, £26, as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's almost a mortgage. He said, and it wasn't good value. He said, so we won't eat there again. And he knows, because he eats out a lot. I eat out a lot. He eats out more than I do, I'm pretty certain. Dave, morning. Morning, Dave. Sorry, Dave, we're not going to go to you, apparently. So uh, I'll leave it. OK. Um, we'll come back to... Let's go to um, Paul, who's uh, who sent in a, in, a, in a text. Had a senior moment. When you mentioned Venus, the walking, talking doll... I suddenly had a vision of Dick Van... Sorry, I'm just halfway through reading a thing and it vanishes. Um, um, Sorry, wait a minute. We'll we'll come back to you in one second. Right. Wait a minute, Paul. Sorry. Uh, He says, I suddenly had a vision of Dick Van Dyke and Sally Ann Howes when Benny Hill as the toy maker dressed them up to escape the Baron and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. You mentioned Britain's... Yes, I remember that. That was very good. There was a some song... What do you do... Do people sing happy? It was very good, actually. Benny Hill was excellent. And you mentioned Britain's Got Talent. It would have made sense to switch it to Sunday, where they've stuck Vernon Plank and the so-called celebs, all-star family fortunes, or stick it where the repeated Best of Harry Hill TV burp is. I hope that doesn't finish. I've got this horrible feeling that Harry Hill's not going to make any more, because it takes such a long time. The character of Mary Poppins was a nasty piece of work. Some of the books are very dark. In fact, as a nanny, she probably would have been reported to social services and have her licence revoked. If you recall, though, uh, good old uh, Gillian Blyton did a hatchet job on her not-so-perfect mother, Enid, as did Joan Crawford's daughter. Yes, that's how the book started, to my daughter 
Uh, Susan, I leave nothing uh, for, for which she is well aware of. Uh, I myself attempted to report a boy of indeterminate age then by the name of Andy Pandy, who wears blue and white pyjamas all day and lives in a basket with a teddy bear and a strange-looking blonde girl with pigtails. Would you believe someone told me they aren't real? Lexi was in Monarch of the Glen, by the way. And I have to ask if the Crumbly's got a team together for eggheads. Would you be up for being team captain? Is, is it MI5 or MI6? That, actually, I'd quite like to see the Crumblies on there. Be a nice bit of publicity, wouldn't it, for the uh, for the program? Um, Matt says there was another dog. On, no, the what? Honestly, you people and dogs, you know it's winding me up now. We definitely don't have that. Uh, I can almost promise you the odd doll girl says Scott is a YouTube partner. I don't know what a YouTube partner is, but it's some, so people earn money through hits, do they? To the website that's because she obviously gets gets quite a lot of hits. So I'm assuming that would be. That would be the way that it it would happen. I don't because otherwise I can't I can't see any other any other way round it. Uh, vegetarian's a very old word, Steve, dating dating back to the Stone Age. The modern translation is useless at hunting. Thank you so much indeed. But they've put these posters up in Gloucester, which have been vandalised because it's it's anti meat. And the reason they've chosen Gloucester is because it's the location of a new mortuary for obese bodies. But a section's now been torn down, removing Petter's name and revealing that of the chipmaker McCain underneath, criticised by the National Obesity Forum as laughable when it was unveiled earlier in the week. And, uh, and Petter said they, they've chosen the city uh, because of its links to obesity. And they're now saying that if you go vegetarian, it's more healthy. Local butcher Nick Brown says if they cut out chocolates and computers and TV dinners, they might cut obesity out. But meat, to my mind, is good for you. I don't know many butchers who haven't reached the age of 80 and they've eaten meat all their life. Absolutely. I was trying to find out the other day how old um, Ray was. Ray who started Sandy's um, in the, uh, the fish shop in Twickenham. And um, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming he must have been well into his 80s. But uh, they put up a lovely tribute to him on the, on the window. So it was Ray Sandy. Who, uh, who sadly passed away. A bit of a stalwart of, of Twickenham. Uh, Dave. Morning, Treacle. Morning. Um, just come back from holiday. Mm. On the flight going, um, it was like the flight from hell. We had uh, a woman with three children, oh. uh, three young boys, sitting just behind us. Um, I did feel sorry for her. She was a woman on her own with three children, but they were the worst behaved children you've ever seen. Mm. Hollering and shouting, jumping about on a chair. There was a, a lady with a boy and a girl sitting in front of us, and you wouldn't have even known they was there. They was sitting there reading, colouring in, that sort of thing. Absolutely brilliant. But you get the others where it's just a nightmare, absolute nightmare. On the way back yesterday, we all piled on the coaches to the plane, and the woman got on with the kids, and I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. <laughs> And, and we got off, we went to the front of the plane, and we're looking back, and the woman walked with the three children to the back of the plane, and you sort of think, <laughs> she's, oh, thank God for that, you know, she's, she's going at the back. Um, but it, it's just, I can't believe, I've got, I had two two small boys when we started flying, um, they, was, they was okay, you know, they get a bit restless, but... You sort of tell them to behave yourself, and they did. Uh, these these three children, absolute nightmare, absolute nightmare. I think it's all to do with whether parents have educated children. It's like from an early age, all of my godchildren came out eating with us. So exactly. they knew how yes. to behave exactly. in restaurants. They would yes. sit there, and the moment they finished their food, if they wanted to get down, their dad went, no, you stay there, we're eating. 
Well, you do the, you do the same at home, didn't you? Yes. They sit at the table at home and they wait there till everybody's finished. Mm. Um, and I think this is the thing: if you don't do it at home. You can't expect the children to do it when they're no, outdoors. But I've been out to, to restaurants before and I've seen kids, you know, getting down, running around all over the place, and you think you quite clearly have not been trained properly yeah, by your parents. You, you don't you don't do it at home. No. And also the, the, the book reading uh, devices. There was mm. a load of them on Oliver. But what I take I have trouble with reading. So my boys download books for me and put them on a, an iPod. Which is easy, um, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic. The first yeah. book I ever 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 got down um, was a Michael Caine autobiography, and it was absolutely brilliant. It, it was him reading it. Mm. Uh, to Which you, is even better. Just, I've actually got loads of those talking oh, books. You just, you just sit there and listen to yeah. it. I, well, in actual fact, I burnt all my back because I was no. sitting there listening and, and not paying attention. My friend um, Jackie Gill used to handle all the uh, the BBC talking books, and she would send them out to me, and I had a whole, whole collection, and they're great to listen to in bed. You're hearing the actual celebrity reading their autobiography. Actually, there's a very good chance, Dave, that uh, Michael is probably listening to the programme this morning. He listens on a regular basis. Quarter past five. News headlines with Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. A deadline for a... Or five six zero six zero nine seven three. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Contact feeling football is not only a sort of, you know, cheap in the extreme, but uh, there is the, the miracle that is Fabrice Mwamba. Yesterday, he thanked the medics who saved his life with a fantastic farewell gift. What did he get them? A cake. He bought them a cake, for God's sake. You know, with all his money, they saved his life and he bought them a cake, which had, to all the medical staff at the London... Ch- it had a photograph on the front of it. You know, this cake probably cost, I don't know, 100 quid, £150, and that was his gift to them for saving his life. He obviously didn't value his life very much, does it? Perhaps you could have bought them a piece of equipment or something. You know, spent 50,000 quid. How much, how much price do you put on your life nowadays? You know, I mean, a cake... He's 23, he's obviously got loads and loads of money, and he signed it for Brice, Muamba and family. And, as I say, it would, it would be quite nice if he donated a piece of equipment, wouldn't it, you think? Just thinking about it. You know, a cake, for God's sake. Perhaps somebody said, what do what, you buy people who just saved your life? I don't know, why don't you send them some Dunkin' Donuts or something like that? That'd be good. Uh, I'm a vegetarian, always cook meat for dinner guests. I'm happy with a plate of roast potatoes, says Jack on her way to work at T4, full of screaming children. Well, you've eaten streaming children. Uh, Jim in Roehampton says there's a horse named Treacle in the Grand National. I don't know. Do you think a horse named Treacle is going to actually make it through? You get the feeling it's going to kind of plod through, don't you, really? I think. I don't know. Uh, Steve, are these orange-faced thickos a sad result of a failing education system? Horribly blended with the whole celeb obsession. These girls are everywhere, sadly, not just Essex. If only they knew how ludicrous they look and sound. Well, they do. There's a piece in one of the papers today on Lucy Pargeter. Lucy Pargeter is in Emmerdale. She's another one with a dreadful, dreadful voice. It's one of those... It sounds like a foghorn. And all the girls from The Only Way is Essex, they sound like cackling old witches because they've just got terrible things, terrible voices. Kevin the Milk says, all this talk about The Only Way is Essex makes me ask the question, how can I get Harlow moved into Hertfordshire because we're on the border? It's true, isn't it? I don't know. I wish I could answer that one for you. It is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. How many friends have you got? I only ask because there's a there's a survey out. I'm not going to tell you who it's conducted by because it's one of these. It's just it's it's a survey designed to give publicity to the people who've spent two thousand quid or something. And despite many people claiming to have hundreds of friends, you know, like loads of friends, it turns out you've only got five. 
Five, they say, are the people that you can count on in a crisis. And I was going through mine the other day. The moment I heard about this, I was sort of thinking, right, how many... I mean, I've got hundreds. I think I've got 600 phone numbers in my book. And that's just in the, in the first part of the, uh, the book. And you think to yourself, they're not friends, it's just it's numbers that I've sort of collected. So I've got all sorts of people. But if you were looking at actual close friends, I think one... Do you have to include family on close friends? I don't know. Uh, so one, two, three, four, five, seven. seven. It could be eight. Could be ten, actually. But seven, generally speaking, are people that you would tell everything to. People that would know every single thing about you. If you had a crisis, you would tell these people. You wouldn't tell everybody in your phone book. You know, if, if, you've, if, you've, if, you, probably say, if you've just been arrested by the police or something like that. You're not going to tell everybody in your phone book. But you would tell your seven friends or your ten friends. How many friends have you got? Oh eight four five six zero six zero nine seven three. That's, that's sort of mates. It's like when you see people getting married. They're their sort of mates. Although sometimes I've heard of people getting married and they never speak to each other again after that. They get married. I know somebody in particular who was, uh, who was uh, a best man for somebody. They haven't spoken for ages. And you think, so obviously it wasn't the best man. You know, it probably was, but it wasn't if you get, get my drift. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk or 0845 6060973. Ian says, we flew with Malaysian Airlines when my son was nine months old, so his Malaysian grandparents could see him. Cabin girl's great. He still has his little green, yellow and red turtle toy. The Malaysians are very family-orientated. So somebody's children have really annoyed a well-connected flyer. I bet they were Brits, from my experience, flying with them. Yes, I mean, they are... I mean, I like kids. When they get on flights, they sit down there and they do colouring and they read a book. It's the kids who sit there and they can't entertain themselves. The kids who are bored. The kids who are sort of really, really dull. And the kids who sit there go, well, how long is this flight? Seven... You've got seven hours of it, okay? Seven hours. (laughs) Eight, four, eight, five, oh... Liz, was that, a, was that a recommendation of um, of somebody, I should imagine? Because people do go to, to certain places. I mean, I've had bad meals in all sorts of places. We were talking about this restaurant in Teddington. And uh, and the, it's Nouvelle food. It's Nouvelle food. And it was, it was absolutely terrible. £105 for two people with a bottle of average wine. Because I hate it. If I see a wine, I buy a bottle of Pinot Grigio, and we had a bottle in this place in Epping, and I think it was £18. Well, I know that I can buy it for £4.20, which means they must be paying £3 something because they're buying it wholesale. And you think the markup is incredible. And they always they do that stupid thing, don't they, in restaurants? Pretentious rubbish or what, where they sort of open the bottle of wine, and they're mainly just screw tops on now, and then they, they pour a little bit into the glass. And I say, just pour it. It's only Pinot Grigio. You know, we're not going to find out whether the wine's gone off. It's Pinot Grigio, OK? So, so, but they always insist on pouring out. Perhaps some people do that. They go, oh, I'll have a little taste. Mm. Oh, yes, definitely a very a nice bouquet to it. And you think, you've got no idea. Most of us couldn't tell, you know, in a restaurant if the wine was corked or if it wasn't, because you don't find wine with corks on unless you go to very, very posh places. Most places now, all the wine I'm buying, it's got a screw top. It's got a true, or, or fairly that, a plastic cork. Nothing's got real corks in it now. Unless, as I say, you go to somewhere posh like Berry Brothers and Rudd and you're buying, you know, really lovely wines to lay down and sort of cultivate over the years, then that that would be completely different. But the majority of people, that's why it makes me laugh in restaurants. I think they're being very clever by sort of offering you a taste of the wine. I feel like saying to them next time, it's corked. Okay, it's a screw top. I go, I don't care, it's corked. The wine is off. Because <laughs> there's no answer to it. They have to then change it and give you another bottle. 
Uh, Karen says, I've travelled with my six kids since they were babies, and never a problem. Always had their own little backpack, a few of their favourite toys, and colouring things with a couple of small snacks. Always a sweet to, uh, to suck during takeoff. And uh, I would breastfeed the babies during takeoff or bottle. I think bottle's better, really, during takeoff, don't you? I mean, I don't like to sort of say that they might sort of clamp on just a little bit harder than usual as it was taking off. Like, but you're right, that's what you do. You take little backpacks and you put their favourite toy in there. You, put, you can go to the pound shop and buy little, you know, little colouring books and coloured pencils and stuff like that. Keeps them entertained. Most airlines, in fact, all airlines, do carry stuff on there. They carry colouring books, they carry pencils, and they carry things to keep the kids entertained, because it's a long time. And failing that, you let them watch a movie. If they're on certain airlines, they've got their own little iPads in front of them, and then they can sort of watch a movie, and then they go to sleep. Then you wake them up, then they have an ice cream or something like that, and it just keeps them going. But it's the kids who sit there, and they don't want to read a book. They don't want to do this. And whether or not... That's why Malaysian Airlines have, uh, have banned kids from going uh, in, in the posh bit of the plane. You're right. Somebody said, you know, it's, it's probably one of their high-flying customers that I shall never fly Malaysian again unless you, uh, unless you sort out these uh, screaming children. But it's just, it's badly behaved parents. It's not the kids. They don't know. That's why, you know, if, if you've got children, you have to, uh, you have to sort of uh, take them out from an early age, literally in pushchairs, into restaurants. So they're used to restaurants. And then eventually they, they progress from sitting in the, in the pram or sitting in the pushchair to sitting at the table. And many of the time we've sat... I mean, we've been, I've lost count of how many meals we've had out with, with the kids over the years, but they learnt to sit at the table. They did go through a phase in the beginning of wanting to get down, and their dad would go, sit down, we haven't finished eating yet. Or failing that, you know, if you're talking and they start interrupting, you go, we're talking to Uncle Steve. Stop interrupting. You have to tell them. And now they're brilliant. They love going out to restaurants because it makes them feel grown up. They can order. You know, the waiters will come round and say, what would you like to eat? And, uh, you know, from the age of, uh, you know, about five and six, she was actually quite good, Danielle, ordering her own food, which is good. Uh, Julie, little Julie, has tried the, the Dream On last night after fixing the apps with the help of uh, techno whiz Noreen. Exactly. Always ask Noreen about things like that. Just got my results. Not enough data. This is the, uh, the app which is going to help you to dream, OK, which we talked about on the programme the other day. You have to do the download, and it's free, but I think you pay for the music. And, uh, and it will help you... Dr- I quite like the idea of dreaming. Before, if you wanted to have a dream, definitely, then you would eat cheese before you went to bed. Guaranteed. I don't know why did it, what it is about cheese, or perhaps a milk... Because if you're eating... I wonder if a milk drink would work in the same way. Probably not. And so if, if you eat cheese, you can guarantee you can have a dream... And I dream about I dream about people at work. I dream about all sorts of people. I'm not saying which people at work I dream about, because that would be embarrassing to the people I don't dream about. But somebody did say to me a short while ago, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Joe Parkinson, actually, our showbiz editor. And she said, I dreamt about you the other night. Well, I've doubled the security at home, and I've checked up with the, the CCTV cameras to make sure that they are recorded. I don't know, turning up at three in the morning. Thank you very much indeed. Doing a bit of sleepwalking, because I think she lives quite close. And she's at that funny age now where she might start walking, you know. And I've done that before. I have slept walked into people's bedrooms before now. I mean, it's, 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 I was living in a, in a rented place in London years and years ago. And I remember coming out of my place, going down the stairs and walking into the flat there and standing in front of the bed, stark naked, of my next-door neighbours. <laughs> Luckily, they didn't have a camera. and Because um, otherwise it could be very embarrassing all round. And so then I went back upstairs again. And then the next day they said to me, did you sleepwalk last night? And I said... I wasn't sure if I did, actually. I wasn't sure if it was a dream. She said, no. She said, we woke up. 
She said, and I said to Alec, I think Steve's standing at the bottom of the bed, star naked. <laughs> so selfish, some people, aren't they? They never invite you in. They just sort of make you walk back upstairs again. Anyway, so upstairs I went. But I, I have slept walk before and sat on the roof in my pants. Funny place to have a roof, but there you go. It's LBC 97.3 times 5.30. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. 27 minutes to 6 Thursday morning. James Whale says not all vegetarians are bad. No, I don't say they're bad. What I'm saying is that if you go to a vegetarian's house, they're not going to cook you meat. Because you won't... Although a friend of mine was vegetarian, but his parents weren't. And it became a bit of a... Sort of a bit of a dilemma, really. You know, because you've got to cook a separate meal for a vegetarian. I'm not saying there's anything the matter with that. And I don't think they're bad people. Sandal-wearing caftan lovers who probably chant a lot. But, you know, I'm just saying that they don't really accommodate other people. You have to accommodate them... They don't accommodate you. I had this. I told this story before of pulling into Earl's Court, and I was desperate for a Wendy hamburger. I wasn't desperate for. I just wanted a Wendy hamburger. And I said to a friend of mine, "I said, can you dip it and get me a, get me a quarter pound with cheese plain?" He went, "No." I said, "Why?" He said, "I'm vegetarian." I said, "I'm not asking you to cook the thing. I'm just asking you to go and buy it." He wouldn't get out of the car and buy it. I had to drive off because <laughs> you couldn't leave it on double yellow lines. It was a bit, a bit dangerous at the time. But that, that's what it's like. I mean, I quite like the idea that people eat. Uh, Eat sort of meat. Very good. So how many friends have you got? They say five or fewer. That's close friends. That's people that you would trust with your life. People you could phone in an emergency. People that would help you out. People you would tell, you know, your, 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 your private thoughts to. I think I've probably got eight. I think I've probably got a, loads of acquaintances. Loads of acquaintances. I mean, I can't tell you how many acquaintances. Loads. Because you bump into lots of people. You know, lots of people, like, you know, and people pop up, like this morning, Rob Goldstone popped up, and he was part of LBC's history from, from sort of Gough Square days. And um, Nick Fincher popped up as well. He was my producer. We were in another building overnight. You remember the time when Matt Goss came a-calling? Ooh, yes, the Gossy boy who was drunk. Ooh, yes, that was, a, that was a story we've told many times before on the programme. And so you do get people sort of popping up again. And they're sort of, fr- and, you know, and people saying, it's like John Warrington's been a friend for, for donkey's years and Paul Savory and Alan and all the people who sort of used to feature on the programme. So, you know, you still keep in contact with them every so often. I think a friend is somebody that you don't speak to them for about six months and then they pick up the phone or they send you a text and the next thing you're texting like mad and then you don't do it again for another three months because you just pick up where you left off. You know, there are lots of people, I should imagine, on Facebook who have, who have sort of all of a sudden increased their friends. You know, there'll, there'll be loads of people you'll bump into on Facebook and, and some you'll keep in contact with and some you won't. Paul in Manchester says TV Burp has just finished its latest run. As per usual, they're now running a few best-ofs. Harry initially said he wouldn't be making any more as he was spending too long watching TV for research. However, following countless protests and cynic that I am, maybe a few quid more from Network Centre... Is coming back with more. Oh, good. Morning to Jill, Alan, Julie, and she who isn't mentioned, along with many others, uh, on all three of the Facebook pages. Three of the Facebook pages. Actually, I got a, a long email the other day, and it was from Neil. There's always something we say on the programme uh, which triggers somebody's uh, mind. Oh, actually, it's Pat's birthday today, the, the, the Bishop Stortford one, who likes the Haribo jelly babies. She says, I'm as old as you are. What, 43? Unbelievable. Many happy returns of the day, Pat. I'm sure you'll have a, a lovely, lovely time. Noreen says we're going to Stockwood Park in Luton to a dinosaur exhibition with little Josh. Actually, I quite like that idea. That's quite a good thing for kids, isn't it? Uh, love to Michelle from Lizzie. Little Julie and me, please. Not very well at the moment. 
Uh, Dawn did a long one. I'll come round to a little bit later on because it's quite long. But the one that I got from uh, Neil, who says, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a programme on the telly last night about Dick Emery. Married six times, quite a ladies' man. The only thing I remember about Dick Emery is he used to have some... He had a, a gay character called Honky Tonk. I think it was Honky Tonk. Or, yes, it was Honky Tonk. But the only th- other thing I remember about him is... And I've seen the programmes recently. There were a few that sort of uh, mysteriously turned up. And I watched those. When he died, he was left in, um, in an arch at Shepherd's Bush. Uh, that's where the funeral director stored bodies. And I remember the papers printed a picture saying, this is where, you know, Dick Emery is spending his last, his last few hours before they, they bury him, underneath a railway arch. And it, it did look somewhat depressing, but then I've, I've since realised that the majority of funeral directors, once you go behind the scenes, it's all just very basic, I'm afraid. It's very basic. A friend of mine has a funeral directors in... I won't tell you where it is, because it identifies it. And, uh, and he was a listener to the programme and he invited me up there. And the one thing I couldn't get over was how in funeral directors' offices they were very plain. It was a plain desk, some plastic flowers and two chairs. I said, why is it so plain? He said, because people would... If it was all flash, with, you know, really flash furniture and television screens, people would say, that's why funerals are so expensive. He said, so it's deliberately toned down. But backstage, as they call it, you know, going behind the scenes, it's just fridges... And, and coffins and people sort of preparing people. But they don't show you that kind of thing. They, they, they wouldn't do it out of a sense of, uh, a sense of loyalty, I think, to the families. You don't do it. We have, we've had television programmes where they've shown it. And to be honest with you, it looked ghastly. Absolutely looked ghastly. We've had two television programmes. One about a very famous uh, firm in the East End who I think did Jade Goodies. And then there was another one in Wales where it looked like he was practically operating out of a back room. All very strange. So, uh, so that's why, Neil, I always remember Dick Emery because... Uh, he was left under the railway arches, which was a shame. Um, there is um, a performance at Highgate Cemetery Chapel at 7.30 tonight, I think. It's a very unique venue, and it's called The Man Who Left the Titanic. All right. And uh, this is from Pat and Dave from Isosceles. They've got a website, which is www.isosceles, which is I-S-O-S-C-E-L-E-S dot biz. And uh, and they they've got um, they've got the man who left the Titanic taking place. It's a great place, Highgate Cemetery. If you've never been, you should go there. Very interesting. If you live in the area, do go. You mentioned the Royal Garden Hotel and Telly Savalis reminded me of something when I worked there as a young chef. Says Neil, I was doing a big Jewish function. Uh, I think a bar mitzvah for about two hundred and fifty people. Two senior chefs were booked to supply a bit of glam to the proceedings to the dessert course of white peaches. Couldn't be that complicated. I thought how wrong I was. At the last minute, one of them didn't feel well, and me, a very confident six-foot-two smart young chef, volunteered to take his place. Panic overtook me as it explained what I had to do. The time came, the lights on the ballroom were dimmed, me and the head chef entered the ballroom, both carefully, carrying a very large soup tureen full of brandy that was on fire. We filed through the guests up to a small table that had been set up for each of us to place the tureens on. We then had to put a ladle into the brandy and at arm's length carefully lift it up to eye level and pour it back in. Looked very spectacular in this dimly lit room. One of the guests came up to me into a round of applause, lit his massive eight-inch cigar. We then had a line of 20 waitresses, all holding metal serving dishes of white peaches, the idea being to pour a ladle of the flaming brandy over the top of the white peaches with a bit of showmanship in between. Sounds wonderful, actually. I'm quite hungry now. White, I, white peaches sound delicious. 
I could eat white peaches now, but uh, I've, I've got results this morning, so <laughs> I don't think I really want to know about white peaches. But I could eat them. Anyway, he says, by now I was getting a bit too confident. I lifted the ladle of flaming brandy, but missed the terrine, spilling the flaming brandy onto the tablecloth, which caught fire. I luckily had an oven glove, a thick tea towel with me, which very quickly smothered the flames, to a victorious roar of laughter and cheering from the guests. I don't know if it was a blush or the heat of the flames, but my face was very red. Another happy memory that you have jogged from the Royal Garden Hotel and Teddy Savalis. Because this was the story I told a short while ago when we were doing the... uh, the programme, and we used to have celebrities coming in. We used to have uh, restaurants coming in, and they would cook food for us. All the top restaurants in London, all the top hotels came in, and they brought their chefs in and ovens, and they cooked food, and we had a couple of celebrity guests, and they would they would cook a meal and serve the wine in an hour, and we would have conversation. Unfortunately, the uh, the end result most of the time was that it ran about an hour and a half because the, the guests got quite sozzled. And I think on one time we had eight different wines to try. One of the top restaurants in London brought in their own cookers. They brought in cookers and they were preparing. It was fabulous. It was absolutely fantastic. And we had the Royal Garden Hotel in. And halfway through, the manager was saying, he said, oh, he said, we, we, we have Telly Savalis staying because he's got an association with the Royal Garden Hotel. So I, so I say, I said, Telly Savalis, what, he's here? He went, oh, yes, he's, he's staying at the hotel now. I said, do you think you'd like to come down? Never said it before to anybody else. And he said, oh, I'll give him a ring. So he phones the hotel, gets put through to Tell's room. Uh, next thing, Telly Savalas turns up in the studio. And I'm thinking, it's Telly Savalas. It's Telly Savalas. It was really fantastic. You know, things like that don't, don't happen very often. You know, marginally more exciting than reading about who a hooker's slept with. You know, my £1,200-a-night hooking jobs isn't really the most exciting book your kids are going to want to read, is it, really? I don't think. Um, 84850, steve at uk. Uh, this one here. says, I used to sleepwalk a lot, says Sasha. I'd even tried to make phone calls, go down to the kitchen, and once tried to climb out of a window at boarding school. Luckily, I grew out of it and never came to any harm. It's quite scary to see a sleepwalker. Their eyes are wide open but vacant, like in Ghost Story. Steve, is James Whale one of those seven friends? No. Of course not. Don't be so ridiculous. No, no. He's somebody... He's a colleague. Completely different. No, no, no. Friends are completely different. Friends are people things... I mean, he tells me everything. To be honest with you, it's a bit like social services. You know, sometimes you're at home, the phone rings, I say... Wales name and I thought oh no because I know it's going to be an hour of him pouring his heart out and I have to sit there and listen and I, I said no, I can't do it I can't do it anymore so I generally have him diverted I generally put him onto Samaritans or something like that and then have a little chat to them uh, 84850 Phil says your friend the undertaker he didn't measure you up for a coffin they don't need to measure you for coffins now they all keep every size in stock they just sort of you know I suppose you sort of try them out for size there was somebody who was on the telly a while ago wasn't there and he'd actually bought his own coffin, and he was he was practising sleeping in it. Can't think of anything worse, myself. There's not much room in there. You're not exactly going to hold a dinner party, are you, really? Uh, we talked yesterday about films that make you cry. The Red Balloon came from Jamie and Stevenage, which was the 70s film about the boy in the balloon, which was very good indeed. And uh, and I think it was the film director's son who played the boy, it was a, it's, it's, does look very dated now, but it's, it's quite nice. And there's, there's some, I think there's a new print out there of it. And it's a film about a, a boy who finds a balloon and the balloon becomes his friend. It almost has a life of its own, follows him to school, follows him everywhere. 
You know, when he, when he sleeps at night, it's outside the bedroom window. When he wakes up in the morning, it comes inside, then it trails behind the bus. And everywhere he goes, this big red balloon is with him. And it was really quite wonderful. It was a nice, touching little film. But then some nasty boys came on the scene, and they saw his balloon, and they tried to take it from him, so he let it go. But the balloon hovered quite close by, and the nasty boys had catapults. And, and they tried to shoot it down with stones, until eventually they hit it. And the balloon came down to earth. <laughs> and sat on the floor, and the balloon slowly died. But it wasn't alone. The balloon was not alone, because from all over Paris, which I think was the uh, the city that they used, came everybody, everybody else's balloons. Hundreds and thousands of balloons filled the sky. They wrenched themselves free of the kids and all the other people who were holding them, and they all descended on this little boy, and he gathered them all together, and they carried him away to... Well, we never found out. That was how it finished it. He just sort of floated away with all these balloons. The red balloon. You can still buy it. James Well is now very hurt and isn't speaking to... He will. He, he says this all the time. He'll be, he'll be speaking later. He's so grateful for the mention at this time of a Thursday morning. And he, he'll, he'll phone later. He does it under his pseudonym, OK? I won't tell you the pseudonym, because all the presenters here have got pet names. <laughs> I won't tell you what his is. And, uh, <laughs> and so he, he will speak. You watch. Later on, I'll, I'll just be getting phone messages. It's so embarrassing, really. I pick up the phone. I think, have I got 25 minutes to spare, you know, listening to the story of his life? And sometimes I think, no, I haven't. But you what? You'll be on the phone to me later on. It'll all be back to normal. He's, he's just feeling a bit hurt at the moment because it's. So go through the papers trying to find a winner for the Grand National. I quite like doing the, uh, the sweepstake for the Grand National. It's just the ghastly people who go there. But you're right, there is a horse called Treacle. He's riding in black. That's all I could tell you about him. And, uh, and some of the names of these horses, you think they really have a horse called Alphabet? How'd you call that one? He wanted to come over. Weird Owl. <laughs> It's always a joke there somewhere. Chicago Grey Junior, Sunny Hill Boy. Sunny Hill Boy sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? Sunny Hill Boy. Does that sound like a winner to you? I don't know. I don't know how you pick winners on these things. I know some people study form and do everything. I can't do it for the life of me. So we're asking this morning how many friends you have. They say on average five or fewer that you can count on in a crisis. Uh, the death of the paperback in the e-reader revolution. Sales are now dropping by 25% in a year. Because what they're saying is people aren't buying, you know, the uh, the paperback anymore. And uh, they're now saying the paperback will disappear. I thought the paperback came out just because it was the cheap option. It was the cheaper option of the hardback. But it's still a book, isn't it? And you can't beat a book. It's not quite the same having an electronic book. Unless, of course, you're one of these people who's addicted to it. Jason the Bailiff is obviously a wuss because he likes the champ. as a classic 70s John Voight boxing film that never fails to make me cry. It was the kid in it, wasn't it? It was the kid in The Champ, uh, whose name I can't remember now. Uh, Steve, was the programme about the funeral directors called Don't Drop the Coffin? Might have been. Might have been. I can't remember. There were two. There was one set in Wales, and it was a bloke trying to get his daughter into it. And, uh, oh, I felt sorry for the cameramen, because they had to go into this place, and uh, it, was, it was sort of operating a little, uh, little funeral business. But uh, he seemed to have it all sewn up quite nicely. It's just that they, it just didn't quite look right. Because you tend to find people who work for the, uh, for the funeral business always look very depressed. <laughs> don't know why. Except that one that buried Jade Goody. They seem to have quite a nice time there. But it's cleaning the cars, isn't it? And doing it all, all properly. 
because it's the it's the end of somebody's life and you've got to make it good for the family and that's why. But watching this this bloke try to explain to his daughter about embalming and the embalmer used to turn up in his car, park in the garage and get all his equipment out and that used to freak me out completely. Uh, Ali says, my sister sleepwalked. She woke one morning to find herself naked, standing outside the flat, holding an apple in one hand and her car keys in the other. Thank God it was raining and woke her up because goodness only knows where she was off to. Yes, that is the problem, isn't it? It's rain that does wake you up. I, I, I walked across the car park in the rain in my pants years ago and climbed up the fire escape and sat on the roof. And I don't like heights. Uh, Anna says, in Chipperfield, we started taking our daughter to restaurants from the age of two in Portugal, particularly noisy restaurants, because I don't think they have such a thing as a quiet restaurant in Portugal. And uh, she's now 12, and she can sleep anywhere, even if it's a noisy environment. Thank you, Anna. Yes, I mean, I also can sleep anywhere. I can, um, I, I, I can do it quite, quite easily and have no problem at all. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Stephen Harlington says, these electronic readers, are the books hardback or paperback? I don't know. Mask with share is another tearjerker because they were doing, tear, we, we were doing your films yesterday and overnight they were doing tearjerkers because of the picture of Ken Livingston crying. Quite a rare picture. I wasn't even sure if it was current or not. Um, Angela's been thinking about her favourite LBC presenters. And uh, the only names that come to mind are all male. So there you go. Yes. I don't know why, actually. I don't know why. But that, mind you, this is, this is Angela who felt cheated. Because she's only just switched on the radio and didn't realise I was on this morning. But I'm on every morning, Angela. And, and I love the idea that the cleaner Greta says, Morning, Louisa. I'm still unwell and won't be in today. Hope to be back on Saturday. Don't, don't, I feel like writing back saying, Don't bother, dear. Don't bother turning up on Saturday. We, we, we've replaced you. OK? I just thought I'd let you know now that we're, we're not remotely interested in you coming back. So, uh, so I, th- I think we, uh, we have to send a thing. So Greta is a cleaner. So you know that. But she's not well. Well enough to text in, OK? So she's not that sick. <laughs> if you're listening, Louisa, she's not coming in, all right? She might pop in on Saturday if you feel like it. But at the moment, she's not going to bother, OK? Should we write back to her and then just go, listen, uh, we, we, we found somebody else to do it cheaper? It'd freak her out, wouldn't it, really? Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, Lynn says, I used to sleepwalk all the time. I'd make tea, go downstairs and have conversations with my parents. Oh. I woke up one light in the process of feeding my sister's rabbits. You see, I mean, I, I was aware, I think, of what I was doing when I slept-walk. I think so. I think I was, I'm sure, I remember walking across the car park and I remember thinking it was wet. And the reason I remember it is because eventually I had to ring one of the doorbells and Chris and Sharon, my next door neighbours at the time, his mum was staying and she had to answer the door to me. (laughs) And they reminded me of over the weekend, you know, which you do. They sort of say, oh, you know, do you remember that time when Steve was standing there in his pants and Maury went, yeah, (laughs) very well. How awful. Brian says, Hampton Hill is soon to have its third Undertaker opening. Are they trying to tell me something? Yep. Actually, I'm surprised that Hampton Hill can actually stand three Undertakers. Very rare to find an Undertaker opening, isn't it? They're always... At that. Normally, they, they've been established for some time. I've never heard of just Undertaker's opening. I find that quite, uh, quite interesting, actually. Uh, John says, the play The Man Who Left the Titanic at Highgate Cemetery will also be here in Southampton on Friday evening. He said it's about the troubled life of the White Star Line managing director, J. Bruce Ismay. I've already seen the play and it's an excellent production. Ha ha! Is it isosceles who are doing it down, uh, down in Southampton then on Friday? Pat and Dave, because if, if you bump it, if you're down there and bump into them, then ask them about because they used to be on LBC all the time, all the time. 
Uh, Steve, the funeral di- directors who did uh, Jade's funeral were the ones in Don't Drop the Coffin. Lovely. Thank you. We saw that the other day. We have a funeral director. Strange enough, we've only got one funeral director in Twickenham. Obviously, not that many people dying recently, but it seems to be fairly busy. And they did bring somebody out. They, it, it's in between. The door to their chapel is in between the hairdresser and the Chinese takeaway. So if ever you see private ambulances drawing up, you know they're either collecting or delivering. And so it pulled up on this particular day, and they've got a little trolley. And, of course, I, I can't resist looking. I don't know why. Mainly because you do notice that coffins are getting actually bigger because people are, are, are eating more. So when we saw Watsits in EastEnders, or we've got it coming up, I can't remember which one she is now, and uh, her coffin doesn't look that big, it's quite clearly not her in it. I think, just, just to add realism, when they use coffins in, in soap operas, can you put the person in it? And then we can really see what it's like to carry it. They're ever so heavy. Very heavy, I know, because I used to work in a department store which had a funeral service. But they, they come out from the middle, between next to Michael the hairdressers and the Chinese takeaway with Jack and his lovely wife. And, um, and they, they had one of these wicker basket coffins. These are very popular now for these eco-funerals. They don't want, you know, the wooden coffin, they want the baskets. But of course they move. They move these things and they're really difficult to manhandle out because it is just a woven basket. But uh, it's still very pretty. It's quite nice. And I suppose it's good. I think I'm having cremation. I've told my friend Michael he's going to be cremated. He said, no, I want burying. I said, you won't have a say in it. He's one of the seven, I'm afraid. Uh, Paul tells me it was Albans, Albins, the company who actually handled Jade's funeral. The champ, the little boy, was Ricky Schroeder. And Dick Emery, if you recall, Helen Fraser, who played his character, Lampwick's daughter, ended up as body bag in Bad Girls. <laughs> what a mine of information. It was Albans. There was a book, wasn't there? I'm sure I found a book at LBC, Albans, and it was all about the company. Because it's... Uh, my, my brother was offered... A funeral directors some years ago. He was he was running a branch of a building society, and this bloke came in and he said he had nobody to leave the business to. So he didn't have any family. I wondered if my brother was interested. <laughs> so I'm not really sure. I mean, put it this way, it's 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 always very nice. We're always going to need people like that, but I'm not sure you'd actually want to do it as a chosen career. You know, given the choice, plumbing kinds of wins. You know, plumbing or driving a taxi or something like that would be a, a career to go into. Not really sure. I don't know really, actually, what was what, the best career nowadays. Valerie says the kid in the film, The Champ, was Ricky Schroeder. I know, he was a little blonde kid who popped up in a, in a few things, didn't he? Uh, Nick Ferrari this morning, after the news at seven. Yasmin Khan will be reviewing the papers. Uh, Ken weeping at his own election broadcast. They'll be talking about that. And, uh, mind you, it did make all the papers, because it's, it's, it's almost like politicians showing emotion, which they tend not to do. Uh, also, can Heathrow cope with the Olympic travel? Of course it can. Of course it can. Whether or not the rest of London could cope with the Olympic travel, I have no idea. And uh, an injured British para, or a couple of them, I think, setting off on a huge fundraising trek across the desert. And this is uh, Sergeant Jackson. This is a man who stood uh, on a bomb detonating it. He suffered severe injuries to his right leg and suffered a traumatic amputation from the knee. He's also lost 8% of his right forearm and 20% of his left calf as a result of the fragmentation. He's going to be doing this phenomenal walk. I'm always in great admiration of anybody who's got the strength to do that. I can barely do steps at train stations, let alone sort of trek through a desert. I found him walking the other day. I wasn't sure if I'd eaten the wrong thing or something. I started getting strange chest pains the other day. And I thought, oh, here we go again, going down that route. Uh, John in Malaga, yeah, the catchphrase for Dick Emery was, oh, you are awful but I like you. And I'm sure it was honky-tonk. 
I'm sure it was. It just, just rings a slow bell, I'm afraid. A very small bell. So we're asking you this morning whether or not you're still using books or whether you don't bother with books anymore and, uh, and you've just got these e-readers. Uh, if you've got more than ten friends, because according to this, this uh, research which has come out, most people have five or fewer friends that they can count on in a crisis. Despite many people having lots of people at work that they know and they go out for drinks with, they're not necessarily friends, they're acquaintances. Friends are completely different. Noreen will tell us about her sleepwalking in a moment. It's LBC 97.3. It's Thursday morning in London. It's going to be a wet day, I'm afraid. So uh, brace yourself. Take your umbrellas because you're going to get wet, wet, wet. News at six with Sam Pittis is next. Noreen says, I sleepwalk, Steve. One morning I woke up, I'd done the ironing. Another morning I woke up and heard two male voices. It was panic-stricken. Then the men were laughing. It was you and Alan Dodgen. I must have gone downstairs, put the radio on, back to bed. Then the radio woke me up. It was very loud. And best I don't tell you about the time I woke up and I'd eaten a frozen chocky gatto chocolate everywhere. That is so bad. That is so bad. I'm just, I'm just getting off on Neil's story about white peaches covered in flaming brandy. It sounds delicious. Even at this time of the morning, I could, I could quite definitely go for something like that. Um, the Undertaker's in, uh, in Twickenham, Steve, says, uh, says Jeff or Arthur, whoever it is, says, I hope the visitors to the Chinese takeaway don't think the bodies are being delivered to the takeaway's kitchen. Well, don't go and see uh, Sweeney Todd the Demon Barber of Fleet Street then, because they get made into pies there. He kills them, she puts them in pies. <sighs> Very good. Michael Ball, lovely Imelda Staunton, just down the road from here. Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, another one here. It says, I prefer books. This is Douglas in uh, Swansea. I prefer books to virtual books. I've got a large book collection. They're tactile and my friends often comment on them. I guess a virtual book uh, locks onto the device and I heard VAT is added to the price of virtual books. I don't know. I mean, I just sort of think to myself, you can't beat a proper book. You can't beat a library. You can't beat picking up a book and thumbing through it, can you? Really? I don't think so. Jan in Wembley says, The funeral business is, Steve, the only career that's guaranteed to stay in business. Yes, until one of these days they invent something completely different. But you're right, it is, uh, it's, it's the, the only business that keeps going. You're, you're never actually going to have a funeral director. I never hear of a funeral director going out of business. But I never actually see people opening them up. Well, you see people opening up restaurants and people opening up, you know, shops or coffee shops or things like that. You don't find somebody saying, I think I'll open up a funeral director because I, w- I wouldn't have the faintest idea how you go about it. I'm assuming you can buy premises. You've got to have room to store people. Presumably, you've got to have special licences because that's the only way you could do it. You can't just sort of store people upright in the corner, can you? don't think so. Uh, the original champ, Steve, was played by Jackie Coogan. Uh, still reading paperbacks, easier to hold and carry. I don't know, I carry, I've got an iPad with me today. And you're quite right, it, it's not the easiest thing to carry around, unless you've actually got a, a, a bag that you can, you can stick it in. But I just quite like the idea that, um, that you've actually got something that you can access the internet on. I, I found that really terribly clever. Terribly clever. Wendy says, you're talking about films you enjoy. Annie's point with Betty White from Golden Girls, about her with her uh, granddaughter going across to America with her husband's ashes, to a certain point where she lets them go. It's a lovely film. We were talking about this. Who was I talking about this to? I was talking to somebody the other day about ashes and taking them out and, and being scattered. Because we have a little boat. We have a funeral boat that goes around the back of Eel Pie Island. 
for a lot of Asian families and they go and scatter the ashes there. And I've often said, I think I want to be scattered on Richmond Bridge. And somebody said, you need a, you need a licence. I thought, no, you don't really. You just do it. Who's going to know what it is? Who's going to know what it is? You just sort of stand there and you just sort of let, let the ashes go, which is, um, it, and it's something quite good, but the trouble is you've got to make sure it's, the wind's in the right direction. If it's in the wrong direction, you've got a dreadful scenario going on. If you want to keep trim, you get a good night's sleep and you can stave off diabetes. People who fail to get enough shut-eye are at greater risk of developing the dangerous condition as well as piling on the pounds. Their study found, this is a study by, well, I'll tell you in a moment, actually. Oh, it's uh, Brighton and, uh, sorry, no, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, USA. And they found that sleeping well is the secret to staying slim. So if you're a slim person, the chances are you're sleeping well, with a lack of sleep increasing the amount that we eat later in the day. Because it's always bad, isn't it, to actually eat before you go to bed. And they have said that uh, prolonged sleep restriction and disruption of the internal biological clock decreased a person's resting metabolic rate. That led to higher glucose concentrations in the blood after meals because of poor insulin secretion by the pancreas, translating into a yearly weight gain of over £10. That will explain why in America they do have a lot of, uh, of overweight people. And so that's when, so when you've got the pure insulin secretion, that increases the risk of diabetes. And they do reckon there's about another two million diabetics out there who aren't aware that they're diabetic. Mind you, I know diabetics who don't even bother with their, uh, with their medicine because they go, oh, I don't really need it. I don't really need it. In fact, I know somebody who you all know as well, who's, um, who is borderline diabetic but hates the idea that they are because they just don't want to accept the fact that they're actually quite ill. They've got a chronic illness. Whereas you have to treat it. If you think you're diabetic, you need to go to the doctor, get a very simple blood test, and once you've actually done that then you will know straight away, and they can put you on medication. It doesn't necessarily mean all the time that you're going to have to inject insulin, although, you know, some kids have to inject insulin from a very early age. So if they can do it, you can do it as well. But you just have to, you just have to get it checked out. If you're sweating a lot, if you go to the toilet a lot when you go to sleep at night, then uh, you need to go to the doctor. It's a simple little blood. It'll take, you know, less than two minutes to do it, and you'll know straight away. There's a, a gut-busting pizza has been launched with a hot dog sausage stuffed in the crust. Good Lord. Pizza Hut has released a limited edition dish after the success of their cheese and and barbecue crust, which have a huge 300 calories per slice. Dubbed the Pizza Dog, this... F- Actually, it looks quite nice. To be honest with you, it looks quite nice. I hate... You know, the other day I was going to go to the butcher's shop because they do sausage rolls. But I want a sausage roll to be a sausage in a roll. You know, be it puff pastry or anything else. I don't want sausage meat in there. But this one... Oh, it sounds lovely. It's available only available for delivery and costs up to £19.49. It's a 14-inch feast, and um, these are the first people to stuff their crusts. But they've been selling the hot dog variety in Thailand and Japan, make up your own jokes, since 2007. However, the Sun's nutritionist, Amanda Ursel, says it's totally unnecessary. Why add extra salt and fat to make it even more unhealthy? This is definitely produced a product innovation going in the wrong way. So now you know. Oh, and guess what's coming back to the high street? Quicksave. Quicksave are coming back to the high street uh, five years after they disappeared. The first new shop will open in Bolton after the old brand, beaten by the cheap competitors, were bought by Costcutter. It's been refitted by the store director, Bav Parek. He says, we were asked if we'd like to take it on and be the flagship store of the north. It's amazing. Very positive reaction. Although the uh, the chief of Costcutter said, 
Quicksave is an iconic brand that was a fixture for many, many years. He's obviously saying, yes, it was, but unfortunately nowadays nobody's really interested. And we don't have one of those. We just have Poundland. We don't have a, a cost cutter or a, or a... We don't need it. Why do people go there? Is it because they're open very, very late or they're very cheap? Are they sort of a little bit like Lidl? And a little bit like um, Aldi and all these other sort of places. Well, you look at all the adverts in the papers, and some of the stuff is just... It, it really is cheap. But I think what they want you to do is go in there, buy that particular item, then have a look around, and you'll probably find something else that that you want to purchase. Rod Little today is talking in his column about uh, the... Uh, <laughs> not very complimentary about Jenny Thompson, the uh, the tattooed prostitute, although he calls her a much worse name than that. And uh, he's, he's basically saying here, you know, she's cheap, she's tacky, and she just talks about it, which is what we said on the programme before, which is where her uh, family have said, you need to get a proper job, stop, stop messing around, try and grow up, because at the moment you're just known for being, uh, for, for being a hooker, and that's not exactly the best thing that you can say to anybody. Uh, Brad Jones is saying he won't walk alone on, uh, at Wembley on Saturday because his tragic little boy will be watching over him. Oh, nice. I like that story. And a picture of that cake from Fabrice. I think a piece of hospital equipment would have been a lot better, but, you know, cake's better than nothing, I suppose. LBC 97 with Steve Allen. Morning, 18 minutes past six. Thursday morning in London town. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Nick and the team with you along at seven o'clock uh, today. And uh, let's just very quickly do our uh, updates. Apparently, Costcutter took over from Woolies in Hadley, but have just closed. They were far too expensive, says uh, Sharon. So now you know. Um, a lot of people, says uh, John in Huddersfield, put uh, cremation ashes on memorial plants. Only to see them wither because the ashes are very toxic. Yes, they all look the same, don't they? They're just sort of. It's. I don't know why they do that. There are certain areas where people scatter, don't they, within memorial gardens. And I think they have to keep replacing the plants anyway. I know when we, we had that as well. And they say, would you like the ashes or do you want us to scatter? And I think, I think we just said, well, you, you can do the scattering. I don't think they take them out and put them in egg timers or anything like that. But it's, uh, it is quite a big business. I just wonder why people don't go into it. Isn't it funny? People learn driving, you know, people set up a driving school. They set up a cafe. Yet nobody ever sets up um, um, a, a business of undertaking. I suppose because it doesn't really, it doesn't really sort of get people going, does it? It doesn't really fire the imagination. You're doing a good job and you're helping the community and you're helping people out, but it's not really the kind of thing you would say as a career. I know people do do it as a career, and I, I, to be honest with you, they don't know how they, uh, how they worry about it. Uh, 84850, Mikey in Surrey says, love your show, love LBC. Newish listener, I'm an all-night cab driver, saw an illuminated warning sign on the M25 this morning. Junction 2, Junction 3, height restriction, 7.5 tonnes, no wonder at the state of the country. However, I have no friends, except my partner, who I trust implicitly. Unfortunately, she still doesn't trust me after 20 years. Not surprising if you're an all-night cab driver. Oh, blimey, last people to trust, aren't they? But you must have friends. Everybody's got friends. Everybody's got friends. They did a thing the other day in the paper about neighbours and how the majority of people don't even know who their neighbours are. And I was, I was thinking then, I mean, I know who all my neighbours are. I know who all my neighbours are. 95% of them talk to me. I have got a little family group, sort of quite close, and they hardly say a word. They keep themselves... Which actually doesn't bother some people. Some people, are, you know... But uh, generally speaking, you know, you sort of sit out on the patio with a bottle of wine in summer and people just tend to sort of congregate there. 
But uh, it's, it's, that's the thing. People don't talk to anybody now, especially if you live in London. If you're used to living out of London where people talk to you, you live in London and hardly anybody says a word to you, so you're probably a little bit wary. But you've got people at work that you would go out for a drink with. They'd be acquaintances. And friends would be people you might have had from school days or perhaps people you met on holiday. I mean, I've got uh, people I've met, you know, since the, the early days of LBC, Corin and Tony and, uh, and Jan and Peter, go back probably... Probably for, for the best part of about 34 years, I would think. Certainly a long, long time. Long, long time. And I see them at the shows and things like that. And occasionally I get a, a text or an email from uh, from either Jan or Peter, or from Cor- mainly from Corinne, actually. <laughs> and they always drop presents off at Michael the Barber's in, in Twickenham. So there's, a, there's, a, the, the, there's that going on. And then there's other people. So when they've done this survey, and they've said that most people have got about five friends... And I thought, yeah, these are, these are friends who you can tell everything to. The rest of them are acquaintances. If, it's, if, if you look at an acquaintance and you go, I wouldn't tell them everything about my life, then that's, that's the reason. That's, that, that's the reason for it. It's because you, 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 it's not that you don't trust them. It's just that that's, that's the private side of your life that you tend not to tell people about. But close friends are people that you can phone up and say, you won't believe what's happened. And they go, what and you go, so-and-so, 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 and you go, and they go, you're joking. Because it's quite nice to share things like that with people, even if they don't want to hear it. Sometimes they go, I don't want to know. I say, no, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you. We're trying to find out if this uh, little girl, Venus, did feature on this morning. This is the walking, talking toy. She's on YouTube, and she's got a lot of people who watch her every day doing, doing strange things. <laughs> she just sits there, and she paints her face, and she's just she's a bit peculiar. And she's got a strange voice as well, so it's even more worrying that her mother is, um, is sort of pushing her out there. They're looking for an agent, apparently. Very worrying. Lorraine. Morning, Lorraine. Morning. Morning. Um, right, now, you know, going back to the funeral directors... Yes. Right, there was a sitcom on... Um, do you remember... Oh. It was Thora Heard. Was it for her? And it was called In Loving Memory. That's it, and they had their... It was at the back of the house. They had an old car, and it was Christopher Beanie, I remember. Yeah, who was out of... um, The one that was out of Upstairs and Downstairs. That's right, he was was one of the footmen, I think. Yeah. Yes. It's out on DVD. Oh, is it? Yes, I bought a, I bought a couple of DVDs about a year ago because I also couldn't remember what it was. And I remember saying to somebody, there was this sitcom yeah. set in a funeral director. And somebody went, a sitcom in a funeral director? Yeah. I went, yes, yes, strange <laughs> though it might seem. <laughs> and it was set in a, a little northern village, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, oh, they had the old-fashioned hearses and everything, didn't yes, they? Yes, yes, as oh. indeed most of them have, I'm afraid. Yeah, I know. They tend not to sort of improve on things like that. You can't really improve on perfection. People like the... Although you see more and more horse-drawn funerals now. Um, my husband's cousin, he arrived at the um, cemetery mm. on a sidecar. On a sidecar? Yeah. How big was he? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not that big. <laughs> right. But his friend had decorated it in the Union Jack. Oh, right. And with one foot. Um, an outline of his trainer on the bottom, where it, obviously his feet would be. Right. And there was a inside joke about that, because he'd gone into B&Q and asked for something. They didn't have it. So he kicked his foot up in the air, and his trainer came off, and it landed up in the rafters. Oh, right. So he, they put one foot on there. Interesting. <laughs> I've heard of somebody else arriving at their, at their funeral on a sidecar. We've got one in Walton. 
They Have do you? Yeah. They actually use it all the time? Yeah. Oh, wow. I did see a funeral the other day, and I, and I, I got caught up behind it. And unfortunately, what they... Well, not unfortunately, but fortunately, I didn't know where they were going. And we were in a little tiny road in Isleworth, and they just picked up the family from the house. And then the funeral director walks in front of the hearse... Yeah. For a little way, and then he gets in the car, and then off they went. But this one was followed by by motorcycles as well. Oh, they could have been going to um, Hamworth Chrome, couldn't they? They, they could have been actually, because they they seemed to head off in that direction. Yeah. And I got as far as the end of the road, and they had about there seemed to be like six or seven cars with them, and then all these motorcycles mm. and stuff like that. Because I, I quite like to. I mean, strange enough, in other countries, people sort of stop and you know lift their hats when they see a funeral exactly. going by. Nobody That's does that. anything nowadays. No, they don't. I always do, so does my husband. I always stop. Yeah. I always stop. If ever I'm, if I'm walking along the pavement and a funeral thing goes by, I'll always stop. Yeah. Just, to, I mean, I do, you don't have to know the person. It's just out of respect, isn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah. Nice. OK, then. Thank you for that, Lorraine. OK. Have a nice day. Thank Bye. You. Bye. I was going to ask, actually, I should have asked, actually, whether people plan their funerals. You know, what you want for your funeral. I don't know, actually. I think I'm going to be in an egg timer just to really annoy people, I think. You know, just put me in there and just turn me upside down every so often. I could, I could do three minutes for you. I don't know about that. There was this big argument ages and ages ago, you know, burial, cremation, burial, cremation, burial. And in the end, I decided on cremation. And there's no other reason, apart from the fact that I don't think people go to, to cemeteries anymore. I don't think people go and visit. I think they do it for a little while and then the family moves away. And then that's why you get so many of these cemeteries that are all overgrown and nobody bothers, which is a great shame. We used to take so much pride in doing it years and years ago. Nowadays, it's just a bit of an inconvenience, isn't it? I was asking, actually, the other day when... Uh, because I'm sure it's going to be a very, a very nice funeral for uh, for Ray Sandy, the one who uh, set up Sandy's the uh, the fish shop in Twickenham all those years and years ago. And now his son Stuart's got it. Because I'm, I think that'll be a good family one. All the local people will turn out for it, as you do when it's something local. But um, the more I think about only having one funeral, and what's our funeral director called? Wake and pain. Wake and pain. I ask you, couldn't be anything else. And then somebody said to me, and they sent me a thing a while ago. And I should have I should have brought it down from upstairs, but it's the uh, it's the uh, the offer to go round and have a look at a funeral parlours museum in Kingston of all places, and I think it's it's a big funeral director there. I think next to Wilkinson's, and they've got a museum which is open, so you can you just make an appointment and you go and have a have a look round in loving memory. Absolutely, not only featured Thor and Chris, but it marks one of the first big roles for your friend Sherry Hewson says Paul, who played his girlfriend, later wife in it. Oh, Sherry was in that, was she? I can always spot her voice before anything else, for some strange reason. Uh, currently on a gap year, says Ian, travelling throughout Southeast Asia. Wouldn't be without my e-book reader. Love to read and so easy to get the latest books without taking up too much in my rucksack. Currently in uh, Chiang Mai for the Songkran Festival, then on to uh, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Burma and finally Malaysia. Blimey. Oh, I'll tell you, some lovely food around there. Jill in uh, Molesey said, A friend of mine scattered her husband's ashes in the Thames near Hampton Court. The swans came along and ate all the... They eat anything, don't they? They eat anything. But, I mean, like said, that's quite nice. That's quite a nice thing, really. Uh, 84850. Ashley, not a fan of cost cutter. Uh, and Suzette says, My husband uh, came home from hospital last night at 12.45. It was terrible. Nothing to eat or drink. He had uh, all sorts of things. He's got two carers in the morning and the evening, and I had no help, and it was a struggle. I've still got to get up at the same time every day to care for him with medication and meals. That's before the carers get here. And then I've just done my back in trying to get him sorted. It took close to an hour before I got him settled. I don't think people understand what uh, what caring for people is. They really don't. Anne says, I know my neighbour, Steve. 
because uh, they always borrowed the odd DIY equipment, e hammer, nails, or things like that. Yes, I had neighbours used to come round to me and they'd go, we know you've got one, so can you, can you let us have it? Sue in Surrey says you can make diamonds out of people's ashes. Fantastic. My seven-year-old son turned round to my mum and said, we're going to make you into a diamond and then we can sell you on eBay. Oh, lovely. I like that kind of thing. Listen, there will be a free uh, podcast up for you in around uh, 35 minutes' time this morning on lbc.co.uk. So do, uh, do remember to download it, tell all your friends, and we're back again tomorrow morning. Don't forget, take an umbrella out today. It's going to be a very, very wet, miserable kind of a day. In fact, it's going to be like that all week. I'm back with you tomorrow morning between 4 and 6.30. Have a smashing day. Nick and team with you after 7. First of all, the morning news on LBC 97.3 with Susan Bookbinder. What sets Petermans apart from other...